previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. As far as I'm concerned, so shut the fuck up and play the game. It's a good game. Just, just kill it. Just kill it now. I once went out with someone who did a bit like Toadette. Who's got the best ass? Or Jill Valentine <laughs> player in field? Even the bright spark of Revelations is a glimmer in an otherwise sea of shite. It needs to have the final countdown by your reply. We'll leave it together. <laughs> Why has this tyrant got a pair of underpants on? You can make like a cattle prod as well that look like the, okay. the one out of bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Project Umbrella podcast, recycling human organs to stave off infection and rehashing old podcasts in glorious high definition. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune, and joining me today is the Batman. Hello. Stars Tyrant. Hello. George Trevor. Hi. And Mr. Spencer. All right, dudes. Coming up on today's show, we're looking at all the latest news and site news, of which there's actually quite a considerable amount this week. And then we're going to be delving into the misty world of Resident Evil Revelations HD. Finishing off, of course, with Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz, minus Newsbot, who's not with us today, unfortunately. So without further ado, let's crack on with the news. Okay, first bit of news. Resident Evil Steam discounts available now. Uh, Resident Evil 6 has a 33% off reduction down to $26.79. There you go, it's not too bad. That's 33% off all DLC because that includes the entire bundle. I will say, considering you can pick it up pretty much brand new for 15 quid, which is, what, $18 roughly in the shops nowadays, that's quite expensive, I thought. But there we go. Still overpriced. Still, Still overpriced. Resident Evil 5 is 50% off down to $9.99 and Operation Raccoon City is now $14.99 None of this applies to the EU Steam store I know We're all British, why are we talking about Yank stuff? Well, it it was news, it it made news in Project Umbrella Don't worry about Nick, he likes American things now (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do forget that we do have listeners from We do, it's not just us guys I'll swiftly move on because none of us can comment on it but there we go other bit of news we've got a new resident evil 6 art books coming who's pre-ordered uh well there's no information in it it's not as extensive as the art of resident evil 5 was so just like the game well i've already got the japanese one and it it literally is just concept art there's no information on the the beta or the story or the characters so we're not really missing much it is getting localized next year isn't it but i don't think there's anything worthwhile in it that we're missing Mm, okay, so again, nothing, nothing too special. Wait, so the localizing the pictures does that mean there's going to be less tits for a non-Japanese <laughs> audience? Very good. Um, right. Aren't we allowed to see more tits than the Japanese? Surely, so ten- yeah, technically, because Japan has like censorship laws that are ridiculous. 
I mean, like, if that's not the case, you know, I'm I'm out of here. But I, that's why like, I don't know why you're living in the West. That's why I'm here. That's the only reason but, I live in the West. But that's strange, isn't it? Like Japan is known for being, you know, uh, a country that's is more sexually open than we are. Yet their pornography is all censored. It has to be censored by law, which kind I mean, of defeats. There are ways around that, John. Just email me after the show and I'll let you know. All right, good. Mark a date in your diaries, August the 8th, 2013, Biohazard 6 in Japan, will be re-released as a special package once again. This game will contain all the DLC, quite an interesting digest DVD, where all the cutscenes are basically put together in one DVD combo, I suppose a bit like the Catalyst almost, DVD. That's, yeah, I was just about to say that almost like that film they made, Incubate. Yes, yes, that's a better example, even better. That's going to be on a separate CD, because I want that quite badly, actually, despite how indifferent I am to Resident Evil 6 as a video game. That's still quite interesting. Mm. That interests me. I can sit down and watch that. Is that on a separate disc, then? I believe so. It's kind of like um, Subsistence, uh, Metal Gear Solid re-release they did, that had like a disc that was basically all the cutscenes in the game condensed into like a three-hour-long movie. There's also going to be new Japanese voiceovers for some inexplicable reason. Who knows why? So there we go. But that won't get much interest. But the, as you said, the DVD might be uh, interesting to a few people. What do you mean Japanese voiceover? What they're just because they get they get the English voiceovers on the cutscenes. You mean and now they're getting it in Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, what's, why is that surprising, Nick? They they are Japanese. They should get you know they should be able to listen to it in Japanese. Well, no, I'm just saying it won't be much interest other than people outside your, of Japan. So have you got, what's your problem? With Japan? <laughs> nothing, nothing, I'll just say it. Do you, want to, do you want to say something now? No. When did you become me, Nick? <laughs> I haven't said anything. <laughs> Moving on, Biohazard The Real has opened in Japan. This is something that I've been wanting for for quite a long time, but it's basically the... Uh, Universal Studios attraction, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Twelve players can be transported into the biohazard uh, world that is Raccoon City. You get weapons from Kendo Gun Shop. You must survive oh, zombies, yeah. liquors, and other horrors, and visit classic locations, the RPD and the hospital from Outbreak. Players will also have a virus meter similar to Outbreak as well. When's so it coming to Stoke? The scariest thing is um, trying to dodge all the Operation Raccoon City logos that litter the landscape, unfortunately. <laughs> They could do that in Stoke. You wouldn't have to do change anything. I'm really enjoying this podcast because I've not been paying Resident Evil attention at all for the last month or two. And um, so this is all uh, news. No, this you? is it's a really good podcast because I'm finding it really insightful. Good. It's doing its job then. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that about the basically Resident Evil Disney. That's fantastic. <laughs> the answer to the quiz may be in the news. But yes, but I mean, that's something that I personally would love to go and visit. And of course, there may be some news a bit later on about something similar that your staff members may be doing in Britain. But we'll come to that much later. Other news, Biohazard Mahara Desire may have concluded, or has concluded, after a staggering 38 issues. And we can finally look forward to Tome 4 being localised into French. So I'm sure that's on your shopping list. Um, I'm well behind, so it's probably not even much of a point of interest, but I've been translating the French editions, and I'm up. Actually, I don't know, there's a spoiler alert. Can I spoil? Should we be careful about what I say mm-hmm. about a certain death? Well, I'm up, well, I'm up to someone, a certain death. 
a certain professor's death. I'm up to that. So I think, yeah, I'm almost almost end of tome two. I've got tome three here. I'm going to try and get through that quite soon. Well, there you go. September, tome four. And that'll be it. And then obviously we'll try and um, try and get some kind of feature going on the, on the, on the site for that. I think that'll be something that we can uh, try and push. Because, again, it's not that well known, is it? Certainly outside of the Japanese, where it's obviously quite popular, but because it's never been translated even poorly into English from Capcom, we can't. You know, it's something that remains a bit elusive to us all. But does anyone here feel it's added something significant or just a major, major, major plot hole? Oh well, What's then you then. <laughs> to say, yeah, consistency. Actually, we're having a sub discussion on Mahara Desire in a bit later on in this podcast, so we can have a good shindig and chinwag about that then. Moving on to site news, we've got some interviews coming up. A Catherine Disher interview, courtesy of our good friend, George Trevor. She has some extremely insightful questions that I wrote myself, and then a load of questions that other people recommended uh, on other Resident Evil sites. And um, uh, no, she, she's got all of those, and I'm just waiting for her to reply. I spoke to her agent in Canada the other day, and she's got them, and she's keen to not keep us waiting and said I should get them back pretty soon. So uh, she's doing it for free, which is very kind of her. In case no one knows who she is, can you elaborate? She is the voice actress for Jill Valentine from Biohazard 3, Resident Evil 3. Which we discussed earlier, George. I think personally is the most iconic voice of Jill. I told her that, but she told you to fuck off. She's not interested in you. She's married. <laughs> I, I think... Does it stop Nick? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I, I stand by my uh, my comment. I think that kind of high-pitched, shrill Jill, I certainly think is far more re- memorable than any of the other Jills that we've had over the years, but that's just my personal opinion. I mean, all joking aside, she's actually very kind to do it, because I wasn't expecting Absolutely. because she she does a voice for, oh, Newsbook can correct me, or if anyone else knows, um, the X-Men. She was involved in doing the X-Men voice, and there's some big... Jean Grey. So, she played Jean was, Grey in that. Okay, well, there's some controversy. I don't know. You might know more about it me but she got a lot of um death threats and sort of quite threats about that no right no, i don't know about that we could death. ask her if she wouldn't mind uh doing like a recording for the podcast perhaps yeah we're on it we're all over it don't worry don't worry other site news all resident evil revelation cutscenes have now been uploaded to project umbrella tv this time in full well not full hd but the 720p so that's quite good so you can go and Watch all the. You listen to this podcast, then go and watch all the videos in HD. So credit to I think Newsbot did all that for us. So thank you, thank you, Newsy. Moving on, we are trying to get a translation done of the video which you can see on YouTube called Director's Hazard, and we need a, we need a bit of money to do it. So we're trying to push for a donation drive so people can chip in so we can try and get a, a, tra- a translation of that. Basically, it's a 20-minute video sh- um, showing the makers of Biohazard 1, 2, 3 and Code Veronica having a few beers, it seems, and then remembering all the good times that they had when making the series. Well, that's how they came up with the series, wasn't it? had a few beers beforehand. Yes. This was apparently released originally back when Wesker's Report 5th Anniversary DVD was released. It was on uh, the DVD in Japan, wasn't it? I was actually part of that, so that's what we're trying to get so, to. Yeah. Oh, there we go. So it includes um, Shinji Mikami, who um, we won't tell him has been ripped to shreds on this website for his lack of input, never mind. Um, Hideki Kibmaya. Kamiya, I think Thank it is. you. Biohazard 2 director. Kazuhiro Amaya, Biohazard 3 director. Hiroki Kato from Code Veronica. Kats- you know, it's fun hearing you struggle with these. <laughs> Katsutoshi Karatus. 
carrot sumo. Sounds like something you find in a bottle of shampoo or something. Oh dear. You know what I mean. They're, they're all the directors of all the games, so look in the credits of, of the games and you'll know who I mean. Basically, we need to raise $150 for the translation to put English subtitles up uh, as well once once we've got the translation. What a worthy cause. I feel. And if we can try and get some donations going, I think we've already had one donation of $30 from... Zombie X. Zombie X, thank you. From Zombie X. So thanks to, thanks to Zombie X there. That's uh, very kind. So uh, with that concluded, we're now going to move on to our sub-discussion, a quick chat about Biohazard Mahara Desire. George Trevor, I'd like to start with you, simply because I know you've been involved in Mahara Desire for such a long time and you've been a big... Um, pusher if you like of bringing it into the forefront of people's minds on your on your website as well could you give us a brief run through of the plot oh my god well you see i'm i i uh, well yeah no because the fact <laughs> the fact of the matter is i've got very little interest in it it bores me <laughs> and the only reason it's interesting what you say because what you just said though is true and it's really because i have very little to do in my life and so i've got the time to put it on a website because it's something i can translate because it's not in japanese it's in french or spanish so that's frankly the only reason i do it if it wasn't for that i, I would be nowhere near it it's, it's quite boring i just got i'm mardly interested in the fact that it's got a kind of a st trinian's thing going on with the japanese school girls that appeals to me because i'm a bit perverted and um it just yeah it's it's what well, it's sure it's nothing really is it it's just it's in a school and there's an outbreak in a school and well i read about an outbreak in a school in the resident evil one collection one comics like 15 years ago and um if you want to know about the plot i could only tell you up to, there's uh, it takes place in a school mahara school i told you about that bit and chris redfield's in it um from resident evil one um right i do know what i'm talking about and he's in resident evil 5 and he's in mahara desire now as well and does someone else want who's more interested in it want to take, who knows more about it seriously want to take over because i know john knows a lot more about it um well it is mark it is an official prequel to biohazard 6 even though it's come out well it's finished it's run nine months after the game came out <laughs> um it's set in 2012 probably about six months before the events in adonia and it basically revolves around um, a girl called Nanan Yoshihara, who is briefly mentioned in the files in Resident Evil 6. She enrolls at this Mahawa school, which is located somewhere in Asia, uh, which is at least a plane ride and two days' drive away from Singapore, in a very, very isolated part of Asia. She enrolls at the school, uh, but the other students bully her, basically. Uh, the bully her, the beat her up, uh, and she gets very, very upset. Right. And the student president, who is called Bindi Bergera, feels I sorry did, I, for her. Yeah, it's a great name, great name. Yeah, well, she, feel, she feels sorry for Nana and tries to help her, but the school's principal, uh, one mother, Gracia, uh, will not do anything to stop the bullying. She won't bring in the police or any external agency because she doesn't want anything that might uh, tarnish the school's reputation mm. and result in any bad publicity. So, uh, sorry, am I right to think that most of what you've just said it doesn't come up in the first two and a half tomes? No, this, this is later on in like a couple of flashback chapters. Okay, cheers. Basically, Bindi becomes fed up that she can't change school policy and she's sick of the sort of totalitarian regime that's going on there. And Nanan feels like a prisoner as well, so they decide to run away together. But they're caught by Mother Gracia and a staff in the woods. Uh, and after a, a little fight, Nanan falls down a cliff and bangs her head and falls into a coma. Uh, Mother Gracia covers the incident up, uh, which obviously disgusts Bindi even further. Uh, and the whole incident is covered up. Now, you fast forward to three months later, 
And Carla Radame, for some reason, oh. has been scoping out Mahawa School as a potential testing ground for an experiment with the C virus. She approaches Bindi and offers her the power to disrupt the stability of the school by giving her samples of the C virus. And Nanan is still in a coma at this stage. So Bindi injects Nanan uh, and watches as uh, she turns into one of those chrysalid things. And then she is reborn as a, a Lepotitsa or a prototype Lepotitsa. And they disguise her, they cover her mutation by putting her in the same black sort of poncho raincoat that Carla Radame is, is wearing. So then, well, how does she look, this mutated version? Does she still kind of look human enough? To, I mean, she must be passable. Yeah, she looks, half of her face is recognisable as human. So. I think she looks quite sexy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but throughout the comic, she wears this hood. So for the first sort of two chapters, you uh, you think she might be human because you can't see a mutation, obviously. Um, so Bindi uses Nanan to infect all the students that have been bullying her and making her life miserable basically has she got like eight tits then she's got eight tits yeah whatever (laughs) you want john whatever you want she's got they're not (laughs) fake they're not fake no i said eight she's got like another podge i mean they got like loads of tits because i'm I'm not making i mean serious i mean if you look at the the level tits right it it is actually they look like mammary glands don't they they're intentionally looking like breasts is that, still, is that still sexy for you, Paul? Well, I've always said, you know, eight breasts are better than six breasts, and six breasts are better than two breasts. <laughs> I bet you like that chicken total recall. I was just thinking that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, continue, sorry. Well, Lepetitsa does mean beautiful woman there in, you go. in Eastern European language, apparently. Anyway, Mother Gracia, some of these students turn into zombies, obviously, and Mother Gracia, uh, she covers each of the incidents up, locking the zombies in the basement and still refusing to bring in any outside help. But because more and more zombies start to appear, eventually she compromises and brings in an ex-boyfriend called Doug Wright, who happens to be an advisor to the far eastern branch of the BSAA. Oh, so fanfic, it's terrible. Yeah, so Doug is a university lecturer at Bennett University in Singapore. Uh, For some reason, decides to bring along his nephew, uh, who is called Ricky, with him as his assistant so they uh, they begin to investigate the school they see the zombies obviously and doug mistakenly believes this to be uh, a t-virus outbreak uh, yet he realizes there's something different about this because ricky is bitten in the neck but he is not infected doug asks uh, mother gracia to bring the bsaa in but she refuses again so the next few chapters is basically them doing more investigating they uncover more mysterious student deaths they spot the hooded figure on the school roof, which they believe, well, they don't know who it is, but us as the reader think it's Carla Radame, but it's not. It's, uh, it's actually Nanan. And this, this is about halfway through the comic now where she pulls off a hood and reveals a mutated form. She attacks them, uh, stabbing Doug through the chest and killing one of the security guards before she escapes. Uh, and all the time, Carla Radame is watching this from a distance, sort of collecting combat data and reporting back on its progress. While all this has been happening, uh, Chris Redfield, Pierce Nivens, and another BSAA agent called Mira BG. Don't know how you pronounce that, but they've just completed a mission somewhere. Uh, Mira mentions that she's a friend of Doug's and she's planning on visiting him at Bennett University where he works. 
Chris knows Doug as well from a few years ago. So he, him and Pierce decide to go along with her. But when they get to uh, Doug's university, they're told, obviously, that he's gone to Mahawa School. He should have come back several days ago, but they've not heard anything from him. So curious, Chris and the others decide to go to Mahawa to find him. But it'll take him a few days to get there because it's so far away and it's so isolated. Um, back at the school, Ricky... There's like a big plot twist where you find out that Bindi is involved in all the attacks. And somehow, I'm not sure how, because we've not got an accurate translation, but Ricky twigs that Bindi's behind it all. And he goes to her room to confront her. But Bindi has injected herself with C-virus and becomes she becomes a Juavo. She goes on to kill Mother Gracia and all the other staff and uses Nanan to infect the entire school, turning everyone into zombies through the gas she emits through her mammary glands. Is she like... Sorry to interrupt, but you know, is um, even though she's mutated, does she still uh, is she still self-aware or? She is, yeah. She can still talk. She can still communicate. Um, just. And how very... does she sort of feel about her mutation? Uh, it doesn't really state, but she follows Bindi's orders. But Carla tries to get her to follow her orders, and she just keeps attacking Carla. And that's when Carla realizes that you know it's not a perfect experiment. Sounds to me like she's not truly self-aware, or rather, or maybe she is, or I don't know. It sounds like she's just easily susceptible. Well, it's not clear because we don't have a a full translation yet. But basically, uh, there's a few chapters where it shows the zombies killing everyone. um, And soon Ricky is literally the only survivor. um, And he locks himself in a storeroom with zombies trying to bash in to get him. Uh, And soon the zombies get through the barricade. So he decides to shoot himself in the head. But just before he does it, Chris Redfield appears and shoots all the zombies, saving his life. Uh, And then it shows that Piers is positioned himself as a sniper on the roof to shoot the zombies uh, and Mira Mira sorry goes to uh, confront Bindi who by now has mutated into some sort of spider-like creature sort of similar to Simmons but that brings in the well, first pl- well yeah but that brings in the first plot hole because Simmons was injected with the enhanced C virus he was which which was developed through Jake Mueller's blood and obviously this happens way before then so I'm not sure, but like I say, we don't have a full translation, so I'm not sure. But Chris and Ricky uh, take on Nanan, and this is where the huge plot hole comes into it. Oh, that, that wasn't it? That wasn't the huge no. plot hole? No. Oh, okay. This is an even bigger one, which practically, well, have a listen and see what you think. Basically, Chris and Ricky are fighting Nanan, and then Carla appears again and watches the battle. Ricky spots her and goes after her while Chris is distracted. Ricky confronts Carla on this gantry, but she easily subdues him and then injects him with the C-virus. But Ricky, has the, it appears anyway, that he has the same special blood type as Jake, and he is immune to the virus. Well, that's handy. Mm. So Carla is, yeah, Carla is obviously very surprised by this, but she is forced to back away as Nanan attacks her again. Chris obviously doesn't see Carla at all during this, but uh, they eventually kill Nanan. Mira eventually dies, saving Piers' life. There's quite a nice backstory with her. Her and Piers are quite close. Uh, they joined the BSAA around the same time, and she actually lost her parents in Raccoon City. Is she the mutated woman, right? No, she's the other BSAA agent. Okay. Uh, but the spider creature it's Bindi... It's just basically a clone of the bird from Resident Evil 5. Yeah. Uh, and Bindi, the spider woman, is eventually defeated, and uh, Chris, Piers, and Ricky escape on a helicopter. The whole incident is covered up. Ricky goes back to university alone and Chris and Pierce go to the pub. Carla takes Nanan's remains back to Neo Umbrella's labs for further study and uses the data to uh, refine the Lepetitsa. But for some reason, even though they've found someone immune to the C-virus who has the same antibody as Jake, they just leave him alone. That's a slight plot though. Yeah, and that's, that's the end, basically. Mm, what a crock of shit. 
I mean, I suppose it highlights the, the fatal flaw of the C virus anyway, because it's it doesn't really. There's no explanation as to how they become a Jarvo or a. Well, she becomes a Jarvo, but when she ejects herself, she doesn't crystallize, which is a symptom of the enhanced C virus, because Carla and Simmons didn't crystallize, did they? They just mutated. Hmm. Yes. But this this is set, you know, a year before they get hold of Jake Miller's blood. And, you know, why spend half the globe looking for the son of Wesker if they've already found this Ricky guy who's got the same antibody? It just, it makes no sense. Oh, dear. And, you know, there's, it's full of continuity errors. Like, some of the teachers at the school, they have a little backstory where they were orphans uh, from the Vietnam War. And mm. straight after the war, they get taken into this uh, orphanage. And this orphanage is run by the founder of the school. And that's how they meet Gracia, because she's a little girl there doing, uh, serving the food. But then when she dies, it says she wasn't born until 1980. Yeah. So it, with its own context. It's... Yeah, so it's, it's full of little little errors like that. But yeah, it's very, very poor. And it just renders hold of Jake Mueller's plot in Biohazard 6 completely pointless. If it wasn't so already. But we haven't got a full translation, so there might be hidden details in there. But that's, that's what it appears. I have seen all 38 issues in, in Japanese. Blimey. Hmm. So it's impact quite minimal, not necessary. And it also shows the fact that when you're in Adonia, Chris has already seen C-Virus before. Yeah. Does, but... it not, does it not have a whiff of the true story behind Biohazard to it? I don't know. We'll just have to wait till we get a proper translation. I mean, Chris is obviously aware it's a new strain, but he never actually finds out it's called the C-Virus or anything mm. like that. Mm. Mm, okay. I'll say that was a lot more insightful than, than my uh, bit. <laughs> Equally as uh, useful, though, never mind. Um, right, so, I mean, the, 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 you know, the questions, its overall impact in the story, as I said, like, sounds very minimal in my eyes. Does anyone have any... It sounds like they just repeat the same stuff over and over again and then just waffle, basically. It does, yes. So that's probably that's probably an fair assessment. It's just pointless. It's like pretty much every title we've had since Biohazard 5. It's just pointless. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, again, quite self-contained. What do you think, Sean? I just think, um, you know the description there we were given it shows obviously the the entire story is spread so unnecessarily and ultimately what we gain out of it in terms of an addition to the story is so little that could it you know you could probably told it in what a quarter of the issues would you say about man oh easily yeah like some of the the early chapters that george translated they're like 50 pages long but then you get some some chapters that are only like 10 pages long and you just have to wonder what the point is you know but yeah. um, you know, Joss Whedon decided to continue, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer with a sort of canonical season eight. And he did the same sort of thing. You know, we have 40 issues to tell a story which could have been told in 15. And it's yeah. just so, such unnecessary padding. And, you know, the thing with comics is as well, I don't know what the difference was between, you know, how many, were they, was it one issue a month or something? Or a fortnight? Something like that, yeah. But that's a long time between episodes to tell you ultimately nothing. You know, it's just... Mm. Just maddening, and the fact that it was a prequel, and like like Batman said, it's... they clearly did a research in regards to the story. This for oh, here's a baseline of information based off this. Didn't really give them what they needed to know, like Simmons and stuff. That plot. It hole. feels it feels like just an unnecessary extension in the same way that like Damnation did. In, yeah, you know, you, you could get great things from these sort of spin-off episodes, but they really seem to be missing the point with them. I think. Do you think if you had, you know, as, as it was a prequel, and you had, you know, read this first and then gone right, let's play Biohazard Six, what would you have felt? You would have thought, well, where's all the Mahara Desire references? 
Oh, hang on, I recognise the Lepetitsa. There we go. Oh, that, that must be how it ties in. That does appear to be... Uh, by the way, just quite, is, is Carla in Ada mode? Or is it? It's not original. It's not. Yeah, she's in Ada mode. Yeah. She's Ada, right? Okay. So if you if if you read this before playing Biohazard Six, then you would think it was Ada. Oh, is her name not referred then in the? No. That's pretty good. That's a nice little. But again, you know, all those things with Carla and Ada. Pointless. You know, you needed all this material to actually, you know, make the bluff convincing. But it's it's such a pointless bluff as we've discussed that the whole purpose of this cloning thing was purely for that one scene. That's it. There's no other. Be- there's no other benefit to the story of having Carla look like Ada, just so you can get Leon and Chris point a gun at each other. Just for one scene. For one, I can't see any other benefit unless someone can, you know, say uh, say otherwise. No. Yeah. It's it's very very cheap. It is, and it degrades it, doesn't it? And oh well, never mind. Uh, does anyone else want to say anything about Mahara Desire before we move on? Well, it's indicative of Ori Six and the way. Capcom's policy has changed. Back when we had Ori 2 and Ori 1, Resident Evil was made by just some guys who had a bit of crazy ideas, a couple of geeks like, hey, let's make a game like this. Capcom provide the funding, we have to work for them, there we go. It gets popular, and now who's running the series? It's not these original creative minds, no, it's run by pen pushers, it's run by CEOs and executives who, they, you know, they don't look through their notebooks for, you know, brainstorming ideas. They can open their flowcharts, their projections, and all this other stuff, and say, right, is this is this profitable? What do people want in a game based on how well a game sells, how popular it is? Before the podcast, me and uh, Sean were talking about retcons and how we're so used to it in, in the Biohazard universe. And Outbreak, although not strictly a retcon, but adding to the the Raccoon City universe, you know, th- th- there's a, there's a bit of, oh, does that kind of fit in? And we have to do a lot of work to make it fit in. But when you've got a prequel. You have all the beauty of the game already being made, and you work around that. Why make it so unnecessarily convoluted and create plot holes? Is, is almost no excuse, especially when you've built it as this is a direct prequel to Resident Evil 6. You, you know what's going to happen in Resident Evil 6. One, just work around it, just like Outbreak did with, um, you know, two and three. That you know, like they, they didn't have to put, like, take for example, below freezing point, you know, or 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 the hospital that the hive episode, what we discussed last podcast. Or maybe because the game was already out, and therefore they couldn't add stuff in there that would affect the game too much because they can't go back and change the game to fit around Mahara Desire. No, but they but they could have you know planned Mahara Desire a bit better, you know, to make it easily fit with what they are planning on doing. They could have make it made it really intrinsically linked if they wanted to, without affecting Resident Evil 6 in the slightest. We, we originally thought that was why the manga was so vague, because we all thought it was going to finish before the game came out, and obviously it wouldn't want to give too much away. But now that obviously isn't the case, which makes the story even more pointless. You know what I mean? I mean, if the manga was 10 issues long, and say it concluded, say, a month before the game come out, then you'd un- you'd understand it if it wouldn't you know if it didn't give too much away about yeah. the plot of the game. But that just sums Resident Evil Six up: seven playable characters, four campaigns, and now you have this 38 issue manga as a companion piece, and the story is just about nothing. I yeah. I, th- I think this whole era is going to go down as like the you know what it is is the, is the dark era, apart from perhaps Revelations. You know from it's... five onwards, it's just been. Capcom need to hire a writing team that's going to handle each title. Yeah. Like they used to have when Flagship and you know Sugimura was involved, because that's when we had the quality writing. You know, now it's just standalone title. It's like Capcom are thinking when the original games were so long ago. Now that generation of game players is long gone. So in order to attract new audiences, they have to be able to understand the story without playing Resident Evil One, Two, Three, Four, 
Mm. But so it, they're just all un, unrelated. And we, but we know we can do it. Even totally standalone totals like Dead Aim and Survivor, they still manage to work quite well without creating too many plot holes, and still quite well written, quite a deep storyline when you combine all the files and things like that. It's just they're just I don't. Know, I think this kind of global thing that they're going for just makes it loses focus. And because they want maybe to it's just gone on for too long, you know. Maybe. Well, I'd like to know what they're going to do next because I'm sick of the bioterrorism thing because mm. they're just they're just reusing the same plot every single time about someone wanting to use bioweapons as an example. Yes, to keep, you know. to keep their job safe. And de- and the depressing thing about that is that you could um, maybe forgive that if there wasn't a particularly rich backstory and if it was all quite one-dimensional. But yeah. the fact is, and it, and, it, and it, some may even say it all went wrong with Resident Evil Zero. The fact is, instead, you know, because I was thinking as John said that, well, you know, what else are they going to do? What else are they going to do other than bioterrorism? But the fact of the matter is, we do have that rich backstory. We could have found out what Marcus was doing and all of that, you know, sort of history that we've had before. So, you know, there is something there to, to, to go on. And, and John's right. All they just keep doing is it's just, you know, let's put a biohazard in a school. Let's put a biohazard, you know, as we've got with the comics from Wildstorm Res- Resident Evil 5, let's put a biohazard in space. Um, yeah. It, oh, it, that's it, a good it's idea. Like, it's like Moonraker. Yeah, well, put it, in, put it in an airport, put it in a university, put it, you know, in a war zone, you know, and it's... But I think Capcom do feel that the, the first three games were that long ago, that there's no one that's going to be interested in, in a story that's set, you know, almost, almost you know, like Resident Evil 3.5, you know, um, going back to Spencer and the origin of the progenitor. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to get that unless it's fan-made. I, I just want more expansion on some of these points. I don't mind there being lots of global terrorist events, but I just think that they brush over them so quickly. You know, if something like um, Tall Oaks happened in real life, this would be international news for months and months and months with monumental consequences in the Western world. And yet, you know, from the biohazard point of view, we get, what, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour in it. Why not have more games set in Tall Oaks? Why not have, you know, Revelations 2 set purely during the Terra Grigia incident? Why not have, you know, a playable version of the Harvardville incident or something like that? You know, yeah, trying, to, trying to escape from the major news. Yeah. yeah, you know, just something like you know, something to make one one of these hundreds of events. You know, the whole of the Eastern Slav Republic was at war. You know, pretty much with, <laughs> with, with tyrants running down the streets, destroying you know ancient artifacts. Maybe they just got so used to it in that universe. It's like, oh look, there's a tyrant again going across the road. Oh, why don't you learn umbrella? That, that's what happened. The T virus has become, a, you know, partly because of the Will Farmer vaccines, become a bit of a oh, that old chappy become a zombie. You know, and it's kind of losing its kind of. But it, yeah, impact. I know what you mean. It is irritating how they always refer back to Raccoon City and seemingly ignore every other yes. bio terror incident that's ever happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The problem with adding games like Revelations. You know, Terra Grigia is every bigger an incident as Raccoon City. Absolutely. Yeah, because it was retro, retro fit, you know, fitted into the series. You know, Resident Evil Five really should make reference to it, and it doesn't because yeah. of the way it's been revert, you know, done in reverse, and it's not it's great. Shit. Yeah, absolutely. And it should. Um, if there was a game like that, and you know, you have to take him back to the horrors of Terra Grigia, you'd be like, I'll be so psyched for that. I mean, I can't understand, because if you go through the whole timeline, there's so many incidents where Capcom could have done little things. Like, I think, was it you, Sean, mentioned it last time? Why isn't the reporter at the start of Revelations Alyssa Ashcroft? Yeah, just little little things like that. And And from playing Revelations today, there is no reason why Parker couldn't just have been Barry. Yeah, Yeah. it would have been excellent. 
There's no reason why. Barry and Rebecca in replacement of um, Parker and Jessica. Well, I, I don't mind lots of characters, you know, coming into it. That's fine. But provi- providing there's a, a rich backstory. And I like the idea of, you know, things like the Prelude to the Fall, you know, on Umbrella Chronicles and the and Mahara Desire in principle. I like the idea of there being a bit more information about it. But I don't mind them adding new characters, but if all, all they're going to do is just sit around for, you know, one game and then just add to the very long list of characters that never return again. Then, yes, yes, yes. You know, it's, it's pointless, you know, because I, I, unless we get a, a direct sequel to Revelations, we'll never see Parker again or Jessica no, and, and that that's a shame um, because I like Sheva. We lost Sheva as well. Like, well, well, didn't it? Did you say it's a shame that we'll never see Parker? No, no, no. I was going to say it's a shame that like we see. I, I like the fact that we had a lot of the BSA background with Clive O'Brien in places like that. I thought that was quite, you know, because with Resident Evil Five, you only saw, you know, what Chris was doing as an agent. And you're like, okay, it's almost like when you go into the Raccoon office, isn't it? In the RPD, you see, oh, okay, I see, I see what's going on. You know, this is where they were. And you got that with Clive and, you know, the headquarters and stuff. I know, but why can't they do little things like, instead of having O'Brien retire at the end of Revelations, why don't they just think, well, hang on, let's have O'Brien as the BSEA command guy in Resident Evil 6? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's what I couldn't understand, that all links were cut with yeah. Resident Evil 6 between that, that and Revelations, which is, a, which is a quality game. And, is nothing, you know, there was nothing to hide from. I mean, we all know that they were developed by two different teams within Capcom. But why can't they communicate, you know, to make the story that little bit richer? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. So it doesn't look too good, but what we will do now is move on to Resident Evil Revelations HD. There's still air. Who's that? He hasn't been dead for long. He's FBC. There's something in his hand. This is Agent Dario Barioni of the FBC Armed Forces. The time is 1948. I request that this recorder be handed over to General Lansdale. If found by the next team, everyone on my team is dead. Killed by the devil himself. We were unable to retrieve the video log. Our mission has failed. Weltro, they weren't sitting around waiting for death to come to them. When the FBC arrived, they were waiting for us. Even though Terra Grigio was a year ago. Thoughts of revenge. Well, this is the first time I think we've ever done a uh, double podcast, if you like, in the sense that we've already done Revelations before, um, approximately, what, this time last year, maybe March time we did. It's worth doing it again. Worth do- well, it is worth doing again. This is the first time we've had. Well, it's not the first time we've had Code Veronica got an HD re-release, didn't it, in Resident Evil 4? But this is an HD release from a 3DS console, which uh, I think instantly tells you how good the 3DS console is to be able to have a game come out on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. But that's just, you know, that's neither here nor there. What was everyone's views, briefer views, on HD? Mr. Spencer, what did you think of Revelations HD? Brief. I didn't play it. <laughs> hey! <laughs> 
Right, that's me done. Everyone else carry on. Have a ciggy. George, what did you think of Revelations HD? Well, I'm really, really pleased John went first because I I was about to say and thinking I'd look bad and and you'd all quite rightly think ill of me, but um, you can think far iller of of Mr. Spencer. Um, I've only played it a little bit, not as much as I should or would want to for the podcast. Um, but what I played, I loved. I loved the beginning. I loved the eye at the beginning because, you know, I sometimes think it's like an episode of Doctor Who with Prisoner Zero. And sometimes I don't. But, you know, the, the options there to, to think about Doctor Who if you want. I really liked it. I um, Well, look, I, I've read people of Vito's not particularly happy with it. I, uh, I'm a glass half full man i used to be no i did i never even used to be a glass half empty i was like that fucking glass isn't even isn't even fucking half empty it's, it's a quarter empty but now i'm a glass half full man and i take it as it is um i'm quite easily pleased i suppose i don't need the graphics to go any better than they are i think the graphics are fine they're they're, they're lovely um I, i'm you know you can have more detailed graphics i'm i'm not interested i think they're fine as they are so i'm not going to criticize it on that level it was obviously much sharper than before um, I just was happy to play a quality survival horror game with an action twist, if you like, for those people on the big screen. It's got obviously all the atmosphere of the previous example. I don't think that it's it spread thinner because it's gone on the big screen. If anything, you know, you can really immerse yourself even further into the game. I don't like obesity in video games. It doesn't set a good example. So Parker's dead to me. Don't tell me. Don't, <laughs> don't tell me Barry's fat. Ba- Bar- Barry's been on the way in 2000. Barry's buff. Barry's buff. Poor old Parker's. Park- Parker's a fat pig. I'm not interested. Okay, well, okay, we'll come back to that. Um... Where did that come from? That's just rude. Bit <laughs> wrong with Parker. He's a, he's a likable character, though, isn't he? Batman. What did you think? Um, of HD. I was looking forward to it because I do like Revelations, but I have to say I was a bit disappointed. And I think it's simply because I've I've played through the 3DS version many times and that, compared to this, is just so much more smooth. You know, a three-second pause every time it auto-saves, ridiculously long loading times and the lip-syncing that's like four seconds behind, you know. Is Is it worse than Dead Aim? I can't really recall from Dead Aim, but well, it's Dead just Aim the fact only had like the, the wrong s- subtitles. The subtitles was not bad. Is it that bad? Because I, did, I didn't notice it. I didn't notice. Yeah, but it won't. If you've not played the 3DS version, you think it's fine. Oh no, yeah, you know, I've played both. But, I mean, I've played. I've, I mean, I've completed the 3DS, and I've done about a quarter of the of the HD version. I mean, if I if I had never played the 3DS, I probably wouldn't complain at all. But it's just compared to that, the loading times are ridiculous. Mm. Uh, but graphically, it does look good. You know, See, I used, to have to, I used to have to sit in front of a tape recorder making ridiculous noises like from another planet, another parallel universe for an hour. So, I mean, well, they're only, what are they, like 10 seconds? Well, no, it's not, it's not even that, is it? It's, it's a few seconds? Yeah, well, it's not outbreak bad, but no. it is noticeable. I don't know, I've kind of gone off Revelations a bit. I really enjoyed it when it first came out, but I think the first three chapters are pretty much perfect. The first chapter's really atmospheric, that little tutorial thing on the beach is nice, the bit where you lose your weapons, that's good, but then it starts to sag a little bit after that, I think. Sarstein, what did you think? Um, well, like Batman, I was very much looking forward to it, and um, I started playing it and was really quite into the HD port. I thought the graphics upscaled extremely well, and the atmosphere was pretty good. And then I don't really know what happened, but I think it was just having played the 3DS version quite a lot. I just found myself getting bored by it, and now I'm at a state where I'm sort of I'm I'm pleased I finished the HD version. I've dabbled with raid mode a little bit. I have absolutely no desire to go back to it at all, and I think it's because I think Capcom just missed a trick with it. I think 
you know, I'll, I'll go and listen to a bit more detail later, but I just wish Capcom had maybe just been a bit braver with the port and maybe like made it less of a portable game for home consoles. Like maybe take away the chapter breaks, take away all the previously ofs, make it an you know, make it an open ended hub game with just solely Jill mm. and have like unlockable uh, episodes, you know, with like Chris and them, and not actually interrupt the single player campaign, and actually have that it like a complete yeah. Resident Evil game. That's a fantastic. That's brilliant. That it would. That would. It would have been a, a proper main. That, I mean, it could have been a standalone main title that way. You're yeah. right. That would have been perfect. Because obviously, but it literally is just the 3DS version. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Because obviously, onto a console. So you're saying the, the, obviously the fact that it is perfectly made for the 3DS. With yeah. having the short kind of, they're quite short chapters, aren't they? You can just do, you know, one half an hour bus trip. You can do a chapter and put it away and have done with it. But the thing is, you know, when you actually take away the chapter breaks, the, there is a lot of optional backtracking, and you know, I just, I just feel there is a very, very good Resident Evil game in there. You know, don't even interrupt the game with the Terragrigia sections. You know, have them as like unlockable chapters at the end, and then you can play Parker's campaign or Chris's campaign. And it could have just been a fully featured title, but it is, you know, it is just, it's quite a lazy port. I mean, you know, all the excitement of the the new enemy, which was rumoured to, you know, stalk you through the game at, you know, random times each time you played it, and it's in it like three times. Oh, really? Is that it? It's. I'm afraid. It's quite a nice foreboding moment when you go up to the swimming pool because there's a lot of them uh, suspended from the ceiling, but like only one attacks you. And I'm afraid I think what... they're literally just the napads from Resident Evil 6 with a new, you know, a new skin. Yeah, uh, I'm afraid I'm a bit late to the party. I've only just got the 3DS version, but... <laughs> so I can't comment on the HD version. If the, like Batman said, if the 3DS version didn't exist, I think the perception of it would be a little bit better. But the, uh, you know, it's close to being the definitive version of the game. But I would probably say the experience suits a portable title more than a console title. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I may have been brainwashed by Capcom, but I actually find Resident Evil 6 more enjoyable. Whoa! <laughs> Not in terms of plot. I mean, plot, atmosphere, revelations, winds, hounds down, but I miss the running and the sliding and the rolling you can the do sliding. in Resident Evil 6. Yeah. <laughs> do you? Oh my god, Bax. I love, the, I love the sliding. I love the controls in Resident Evil 6, and Resident Evil Revelations, it just feels so confined. There's not even a run button. No. Mm, wow. And the laser sight thing. Someone needs to lose their job for how badly the cursor doesn't match up to where the gun is aiming. The fact that laser sights were removed for no apparent reason whatsoever. Mm. You know, it's things like that which really cheapen the whole experience. When, you know, like I said, and other people have alluded to, visually it upscales extremely well. And if you've got the PS3 version, the cutscenes, you know, I think the rendering is better than even on the the PC version. Um, you know, they look exquisite. They do do look really, really good. There's just niggles and faults, and it's just, I suppose it's a common problem with any HD port. You know, every HD port seems to have these little graphical inadequacies the originals didn't have. Just a question: that that wall blister thing is that canon character now? You know, enemy, or was it just well, put in raid mode? Or there are files about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's files mentioned in it, but I don't think there's any that actually mentions what it is. Um, and it appears in the main campaign. Yeah, but oh. it, it's, it's hardly in normal mode. It's it's you have to play infernal mode, and it's much more prominent. Oh, okay. But they are literally. Am I right? And I think even the animations are exactly the same as the Napads, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And 
when it confronts you, it's obviously quite big, and you think, Christ, this is going to be really hard to kill, but they're actually really weak. Oh. Did anyone notice that they tweak the shotgun a little bit? And there's not as much knockback now. Or is it just me? I wouldn't know. Um, okay. Something that I was going to mention in the news, but I thought I'd save it here, was just about the sales performance of HD. I think before it came out, everyone was praying. And I think it even made IGN, actually, because so many people were like on IGN were so disappointed with 6. Everyone's like, quick, you must buy Revelations. It's the most awesome game ever. You know, show Capcom that we want traditional survival horror. And we've sold 900,000 units on all formats. Is that right? Yeah. But they have said that's... Did they use the term healthy to describe it or something? It's solid, but not spectacular, isn't mm. it? It'd be nice if it hit the million, I think. it have... The projection was for 1.3 by the end of March. Well, next year, so... Uh, I might hit that. If they have a big sales push with it on Steam or something, it, it could maybe do that. I'd pick it up for 15 quid. On it's worth PS. saying as well that the visuals in um, 60 frames a second on the PC version are very impressive, actually. So what, what, what version has everyone got? I've got the PS3. Yeah, I've, just I've got the PS3. The, mm. the one, one thing I will say is the, the actual ooze looks so much better on the PS3 than they do on the 3DS. Sometimes on the 3DS, the U's, they felt like unfinished models, really, because they were just so bland. But on the PS3 version, you really can see all the, the sort of sinew and the veins and the tendons. You know, they look so much more menacing on the HD version. Oh, that's good. Okay, so, I mean, you know, I think we all kept a track on it. Sales, not great, not bad. The reception of it, what was ever, um, I mean, we're following all the reviews. It kind of got sevens, didn't it? Sevens and eights. Yeah, it did all right, didn't it? Mm. But it, it just sort of quietly came and went, didn't it? There wasn't a big fanfare, was there? It wasn't. No, but I think critically, everyone sort of said, you know, well, it is an improvement over Resident Evil Six. This is what Resident Evil Six should have been a bit more like. Mm. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so what? I mean, you, you, you guys are probably best to know than uh, more so than myself. What were the main differences between? I mean, we've talked a bit about the graphics and the, and the wall blister. A- anything else that kind of you noticed about the difference between the 3DS and the Xbox version? You know, the PS, you know, the HD versions, basically. Did it play um, differently? Did it, you know, did it feel different? Well, having two analogs. I mean, even though I had the Circle Pad Pro, it's nice to have um, the two analogs as default on this version. Mm. There is a classic control screen, isn't there? That wasn't on the 3DS version, where it brings in sort of like the the more tank-like controls. You can use the D-pad. Oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know you could use a D-pad, that's good. I will say, I mean, playing on the 3DS version, I, I, I do find the controls quite funny, and I always forget what the buttons do, because they're all shortcuts, aren't they? Because you're I supposed... just have the classic controls for the 3DS version. But, the, I mean, I always get... It takes me ages to, to change between, like, you know, the, the standard kind of knife and or B-O-W detector bleeper thing. I always keep flicking between them and... Losing, you know, the actual weapons, and I, I, don't, I don't know how it goes. Well. That, yeah, the fact that they're handily assigned to the D-pad now is is a lot better. Is it? Does it and work? Knife, okay. Knife. Yeah, and the, there's a quick knife button. Is there? Yeah. Oh, that, oh, that's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's like I think like on on the 3DS, like the B button or something, it's like quick use your health or something like that, and you just forget. One thing you can do on the HD one that you couldn't do in the 3DS is you actually archive files now, so you yeah. can go to the menu yeah. and read them. That's brilliant that they brought that back. What was the map like? I always found uh, the map function was quite odd. It, it never re- it, it's kind of like a 3D view on the 3DS version. Is that, is that retained? You've still got that, but you do have the 2D map that's displayed on the bottom screen, uh, just in like a mini window. Oh, okay. You can turn it off though, and when you turn it off, 
it gives you, it takes the objective marker off, off as well, obviously, and uh, it actually promotes a lot more exploration. Because I, I actually turned it off and couldn't remember the um, layout of the ship very well, and I ended up finding, you know, going down loads of different areas I hadn't been before. You know, obviously there are areas in the game, but I didn't realise you could backtrack them as well as you could, mm. and you know, get all sorts of ammo supplies and upgrades and. It's quite interesting to find, which is why I wish they'd gone for a more open hub style game instead of breaking it up in chapters. Yeah, you can we... you can almost forgive it on the 3DS because that's what it's designed to do, isn't it? Just yeah. you know, in a quick, short, sharp. But when the game is then broken, when you, when one chapter ends and another one begins, you don't really realise that you can actually go back to the areas in the previous chapter, and you can. And the ship is actually very open, like yeah. that. You're right on that point, and the game is screaming out for a sort of a nemesis-like or a crimson head-like enemy, because, like you said, there's plenty of different ways you can go through the ship. But uh, there is other subtle differences, like the when you get to the lab where you have to use the Genesis scanner to get past the the laser grids, they're actually in a completely different place in the HD version than they are on the 3DS version. And that just seems like a really random addition because, as far as I can tell, there's nothing else like that in the rest of the game. And there's another laser puzzle, isn't there, as well? Yeah, as, you, yeah, as soon as you come in the door, that just isn't yeah. there. There's a, a couple of brief, strange moments, like when you first see um, Chris through the... Well, the, the fake Chris through the flap of the door. You get, like, an external shot of Jill banging on the door, which I don't remember was in the 3DS version, although I might be wrong. Um, I thought it, what, what, yeah, was it? I thought it was. There's a few extra files as well, but uh, they don't really give you any more information. It makes me wonder if the if the wall blister was originally in the 3DS version and they just cut it out for some reason. Potentially, I mean this. I mean uh, purely from a story perspective, I think there was a slight missed opportunity. Capcom, although they don't do a lot of, they've only just recently started doing DLC for Resident Evil, you know, in the grand scheme of things. They've actually got a fairly good record in terms of adding quite a lot of good stuff. And, you know, we could probably spend a whole podcast just talking about Lost in Nightmares if we really wanted to. And I think people were really hoping for a bit more story, even if it was just in files, you know, maybe some proper story playable DLC. Well, I seem to remember me and you, Nick, wanted to do Lost in Nightmares as a separate podcast, but um, we were shouted down by the majority. Well, we, okay. Well, who were wrong, obviously. <laughs> But I, I think that was a certainly missed opportunity. I think we could have had something else, you know, you know, a bit more extra, just as an incentive for other fans. So for existing fans, when you got the 3DS version, just to go, oh, I, I definitely want it on HD. I mean, that's that's obviously the the only really main significant criticism I could I would agree with is the fact that yes, it, it, they've just effectively ported it onto the big screen, and they could have been without much effort at all an, an additional chapter. I mean, the, the whole system of change, as Sean mentioned, would have been fantastic in terms of a standalone game. But we didn't get that. We weren't going to get that. But, yeah, the, we, we could have had more. I, I really liked the wall blister. You know, it was a great take on, on the Hunter. I thought it was brilliant. But, yeah, the, the, I, I would go with the criticism that it could have been a lot more than, than we got. But I, what we got, you know, again, was more than I thought. I wasn't expecting. Was anyone, you know, realistically, if, if someone in a, in, a, in a fandom thought forum had, had suggested, you know, let's get revelations up on the big screen i think they would have sort of been you know laughed at a bit you know in the same way people that want an out a third outbreak are kind of um so i was very surprised to know what the panel were when it was announced and so well yeah I, as you said it's a good technical thing it was yeah I, I wasn't expecting it i was more expecting a vita port than home consoles to be honest mm. yeah and I mean, then i was very surprised when a vita version wasn't announced <laughs> yes, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, when Revelations was first, we got that first kind of hunk trailer or whatnot. We we're all amazed at the quality of the graphics. I mean, is that even possible? I still think it's the oh, best yeah. look- best looking game on 3DS. 
Oh, by uh, a margin. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, but, and then you think, well, you know, yes, they look they look PS3-like. She looks like the Jill from Resident Evil 5. But can they actually be translated onto the high-definition consoles? And the answer is yes. They That's look... a good point as well. Is, is The praise that the game gets about the upscale being very good is really, you know, the praise should be thrown to the 3DS version originally being that good. You know, because when you go back, it is quite exquisite for a handheld, and it's just the fact that the, the HD versions can refine that detail a bit more, like what Bat said about the use. You mm. know, it, that's all they've done is just refine yeah. it a little bit. But they were good originally, and that's the thing that you need to we need to we need to take into account. They did a hell of a job getting that power out of a 3DS, really. And as you said, if if it was done in a kind of it was done in a chapter format. But if they did it a bit like Resident Evil 4, i.e. you can't go back, you could have, okay, that's how they've done it. But you can still have a very open world exploration of the Queen Zenobia, even on the 3DS, if you want to, without loading screens, pretty much, you know. And, you know, it's it's an amazing accomplishment. (laughs) We must just take a brief aside in the worst Capcom decision ever. You know, we must have a moment's silence for this when I say the words, Lady Hunk. Oh, Oh, yeah. Punk with no trousers. Just, it is probably the most shocking character design Capcom have ever done. Mm. And I really think they redeemed themselves with Rachel Ooze. I mean, I just, I love the combination of Jewish female name with Ooze. It's just, I, that does it for me. That's, that's, that's all I really need, quite frankly. <laughs> is Rachel a Jewish name? Yeah, of course it is, yeah. Is it? I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm ignorant when it comes to religion, so I'm not quite clued up. But And ooze as well. I mean, just that, that you know, what more do you want? That's brilliant. It's just Ghostbusters too, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, to conclude that kind of part of the story, we, we, slightly disappointing that we didn't get anything extra. Um, personally, as I've mentioned earlier, I'd have liked to have had a bit of Terra Grigia action, uh, you know, down, down on the streets of Italy. That would have been quite quite cool, but, you know, never mind. Move on to talk about Infernal Mode. How did everyone find that? Just woefully frustrating. <laughs> you know, you've got, you know, particularly like the boss battles and, and, and final boss, which was bad enough on Hell Mode on the on the 3DS. You, you know, you've got some of these battles designed around a dodge mechanic, which is so temperamental, you know, and it is so hit and miss. Why they couldn't have assigned the dodge to an actual button instead of having to flick the analogue forward or whatever, it's just horrendous. And you know the the additional difficulty is nice, and the you know the ammo, ammo conservation is really up there on Infernal because they really are tight with it. But it's more frustrating than I actually enjoyed it, to be honest. Okay, Batman, what did you think? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, it was uh, very very Infernal. <laughs> <laughs> very very Infernal. I've only done about three chapters on Infernal mode. I just found it a bit too frustrating. But I tip my hat off to anyone who uh, who finishes Infernal mode. Oh, are we talking Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Level level of hardness? I've never played that. <laughs> we, don't, we don't play Mario. Well, you should. It, 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 put it this way: I mean, a lot of people class Resident Evil Zero on hard mode as one of the hardest previous experiences of the series. Right. I would yeah. say Infernal Mode gives that a run for its money quite easily, but only by being extremely stingy and quite unfair. What I mean, in terms of um, enemy. Uh, attacks one hit from ooze. What are we talking? From perfect to yeah, oh from yeah, per- from it's, perfect it'll, health down to what? Yeah, it'll probably take away half your health. Really? Wow. But it, but it's more just the sheer volume of enemies. Like if you start a game 
before you've even reached the uh, the crisp mannequin, you'll have run out of ammo. But that's again how Capcom have shot themselves in the foot by trying to progress by changing things that they didn't need to change at all and haven't progressed at all and have actually gone backwards. For example, they've left them, they've shot themselves in the foot by um, taking things away so that they're only left with making the difficulty harder by just simply making enemies harder to kill or less frequent ammo. My point being that we no longer have item boxes and if we did, there's just an, at least another dimension with which they could have increased the level difficulty. You know, Batman's recently been playing, is it Remake? On real survival mode, I think is is that where you know you put you put the items in one item box and you have to go back to that item box. Um, they're not available in the other ones, so they're you know taking away that and and suddenly you know that that's uh, another level of difficulty that's not open to Capcom. But the uh, the wall blisters are much more frequent in this version, and you also have things like the Scar Maloney or whatever they're called. You don't normally meet them until the lab, which is about chapter nine, chapter ten onwards, but. Uh, in infernal mode, to sort of prowl in the the ship right from the very start. So okay, so it's, it's, it's just it. The thing is, it's it, you know zero hard difficulty. You know came about because it forced you to be very resourceful and very you know conservative, and you know you had to sort of dummy enemies to go one direction so you could run the other. Infernal mode just adds that difficulty by putting very right. very hard enemies in places before you are well equipped to fight them and it, it it's just it sort of cheats so, so not a lot of skill has been put in there moving on um we can quickly talk about raid mode one of the uh, additional extras that were put in the 3ds mode but also brought over to the hd version so what did everyone think of the hd versions of raid mode um, it's exactly the same, and the appearance of Hunk is nice, but haven't they haven't they made him nigh on impossible to unlock? Like, haven't you got to do the hardest difficulty in full S grades or something? I don't know, but I find it fascinating with raid mode that people find it really addictive and almost as popular, if not more popular, than the mercenaries. I know it's very popular, but I've never I've not played it yet. I, th- I think they missed a trick again. They could have had a lot of classic characters and uh, you know nice cameos, but I mean, as we discussed earlier, they've saved a lot of the uh, budget in making a Hunk and Jessica merge. Yes, the Lady Hunk. John, we know you're a big fan of Lady Hunk. Mm, not really. <laughs> it's a stupid idea. <laughs> it's it's sexist as well. Like, it's actually... I, I see it as quite sexist. Do you? <laughs> Why is yeah. that? Ah, it just is. To be honest, I've dabbled very little in raid mode. I don't even know if they've added a new enemy to it at all. Or if it's just literally a, a carbon copy of the 3DS version. Raid mode never never did grab me. I played it a couple of times online on the 3DS, but uh, I'm, I'm not interested really that much. I'd, I'd sooner play Res 6 Mercs, actually. Hmm. So does it, do you think, I mean, uh, you guys have obviously played it on the on the, on the the HD versions. Do you think raid mode plays a bit better on the big screen? Whereas we, we've discussed that we actually think Revelations is probably better suited in its kind of chapter format on the handheld. Raid mode's obviously a bit different, so it's a bit similar to the 3DS Mercenaries game. But do you, do you think it's better on the 3, uh, on 3DS, or you know? It, to be honest, it's about the same. I mean, it's always been more accessible than Mercenaries. Um, you know, it's always you know, it's quite nice to finish a chapter and get some loot, which can be a, a rare weapon or whatever. It's less sort of um, score-based time attack, but yeah, something about it just never really grabs me. To be honest, maybe yeah. it is just the fact that. I find, as we discussed earlier, I find the Res 6 controls much more entertaining. That sort of going back to play a battle game environment, it just doesn't hold me as much. Mm. So, so do you think we'll see um, 
a return to raid mode in any any future titles? That's really up to Revelations too, I think, if they ever if ever, they ever do, do decide to sequel the game. Mm. Okay, so well, that's one of the areas there was. Um, Bats, I know you mentioned previously that you thought the swimming sections are a bit easier. Yes, the swimming sections I think are uh, a bit easier to get to control on the uh, the console version. Don't ask me why. I just found they're a bit more fluid. I generally find swimming sections in most third-person action games to be the most tedious. Uh, it's, like, it's like the flying sections in games. They never ever seem to get controls right. Up is down. Down is up. Left That's because you've got like uh, invert controller, inverses, inverse controller settings on. You just switch that off, and there you go. Up is up, down is down. Oh, do you? oh, okay. <laughs> when they first announced there was going to be swimming sections in a Resident Evil game, I was horrified. Yeah, I thought it was genuinely going to be absolutely awful. But in, yeah, in fairness to the game, they do actually control fairly well. Mm, well how does it compare to Six's swimming bits? They're quite similar. They're about the same, actually. Yeah, control nearly nearly identically. They weren't hideous. The thing with Revelations, though, is uh, you can hold your breath for a, a stupidly long amount of time. So, whereas in six, I think you can drown a lot, a lot more easily. Did notice that for the uh, last level or the last mission when you're going around the Dido. Obviously, there was no way they could really translate the uh, where you've got the burner. What is it called? The welder thing to cut the doors open. And that those puzzles have just been removed from the game altogether, but yet the animation's still there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the same with the the door lock puzzles as well. It's yeah, they're awful, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, what for the touch screen? Yeah. Yeah, just, you just manipulate them with a controller. But the uh, burning through the doors in the Dido section, there's just mm. you just have the animation of Jill just sort of cutting the door, and then it just falls over. There's no actual puzzle. Oh, really? <laughs> they didn't bother to replicate that. Did um did you guys find which did you find was harder? Because although I found the aiming and everything much easier on the consoles, I did actually have a rougher time with it. I think it seemed to die and get hit a lot more. I don't know. It's, dif- it's difficult to say. I mean, a lot of people mourn about the laser sight, but I, c- I can't understand why it was missing. But I, di- I-, I don't really think it made it any harder. I, th- I thought generally it was quite a-, a challenging game because the I thought the blob themselves were a lot more challenging than zombies they seem to inflict a lot more damage and when you first come across um, old comms officer he can take you out in one mm. and I, you know I, I struggled um, actually I'm still on still on commander Mike so that's where I'm up in the game <laughs> very slow but it's I, 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 you know, I only play on easy mode but you know I suck at these games I, 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 think, it, I think it's quite a hard game especially on Perhaps because I need to play on, on the HD versions, it might be a bit easier on the big screen. But when you're when you're on a little handheld, it, I think it's quite difficult at times to get your bearings that quick. And if you, especially if you do play it in 3D mode, to try and get the immersive atmosphere. You know, if you're suddenly attacked by one of the creatures or anything like that, mm. you could lose that kind of mode. You know, that sweet spot. And you're like, oh, disorientated, and then bam, you're dead. So do you do you play it with the 3D on then? I, when I first got, I did start to play it on 3D. I thought this is amazing, and it is amazing in th- in 3D. I absolutely love it. But then you start going, it just became. As I said, you kept losing the sweet spot during an attack or something like that, and it just became a hassle just to kind of line it up. And you, you don't have time in a lot of these so situations. It, it, it spoiled the graphics for me though, because there was no anti-aliasing. It made everything wow. very jagged. I often left it off. Yeah, I don't think the Sorry. HD version suffers from from the lack of it at all. No, I'll be, I'll be honest. It's uh, it's it's in non 3D mode at the moment, uh, just to you know, try and go through the game. But 
very good surround sound mix on the HD version as well. Mm. The, the ship, the creaks, if, you, if you've got a good sounder, uh, you know, surround sound system, the creaks of the ship and, you know, the sort of noise of the ocean around you is very immersive. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, and a kind of almost reminiscent a bit of Dead Aim. Um, yeah. And really got across that survival horror atmosphere. Uh, that, that worked well. We're going back to comparisons with the portable version for me again just having it on a big screen kind of threw up the um just almost the the, the pointlessness of, of, of the over the shoulder uh view because for me it, it got in the way particularly with the combat um i've, I've never really in, in the past been able to get into first person games and i've been playing a lot of skyrim which i used to play in third person and it's really designed more specifically for first person and I've been forcing myself to play it in first person to the extent where now I can't go back to third person. And it's really, uh, I'm playing Revelations um, very much after a first person game with Skyrim. A lot of the, it really serves to, to block your view. It doesn't seem to, to, to add anything to the gameplay whatsoever, other than to, you know, to obscure the screen where the camera's right up against the back of the person. I wonder if um, someone will mob the PC version to actually have camera angles. Hmm. I'm sure something like that will come out. I will, I will look it up. Yes, see what you can find, see what you can find. Okay. Um, we've also, uh, well, I mentioned about is a weapons upgrade system in the HD version. Well, it's the same as the 3DS version, but I just wanted to know what people thought about it in general, because I, I don't know if it's just me, but I can't be arsed with the hassle of no. upgrading it's, it's... weapons and adding different firing mechanisms. You know, I just... Want to find a gun and then find a bigger gun and just get on with it. it to be honest, if, if if anyone ever played Resident Evil 4 and uh, didn't bother using the merchant, um, you tended to find the, the the sort of game was a lot similar to the older style of games because your weapons never upgraded and you had to be a lot more resourceful with ammo. Mm. And Revelations is a lot similar to that. You know, literally just use the weapons you find and uh, don't upgrade them. And the challenge is ramped up considerably. In my eyes, it was again unnecessarily complicated. It's something that we're not really used to in the world of Resident Evil. Um, I certainly found the Resident Evil 6's upgrade point system to be fatally flawed and totally unnecessary as well. I, you get all these points, and you know, I, I feel when I'm upgrading, have I, have I missed a trick or have I upgraded the wrong thing? Because you don't know, do you? And you're just kind of like, you know, playing on, would I get a better shotgun? Because, you know, there's been like, there's usually like two or three nowadays as opposed to just the shotgun. And you're going to take it to the end. You get assault rock shotgun or whatever, that kind of thing. And you, you never quite know, should I be should I be saving all my points to upgrade the grenade launcher? or? <sighs> it's a system that feels very shoehorned in because it, it doesn't naturally lend itself to a survival horror format. It, you know, it's very much an RPG thing, isn't it? And... I just I can't see other than almost just for the sake of adding something new to a series that they're trying to keep fresh all the time. I can't really see the point of it. It, it could be taken out of the game and it wouldn't be missed at all, would it? No, okay. it. I, it also you could also argue that just by adding a thing like that, it, it compensates for difficulty. You know, because you can just basically just power up a weapon and, and walk in the game. Mm. Um, I did find six is a little bit better because it it didn't break reality as much. You know, if you could also sort of add skills based on how you wanted to play you know if you wanted to be a much more melee focused player you could put you know skill points into melee they always felt something wrong about having a handgun which had 99 bullets in the magazine you know it's just mm. 
or a shotgun that can fire twice in one trigger pull. It just mm-hmm. never really liked that. I find it too real because Resident Evil's always had a really good reality with with its firearms generally, ignoring things like the spark shots and that. But you know, pi- the pistols and the, the real world weapons have always been modelled very well and behave very realistically. Mm. I, I I thought the the four system, the Resident Evil four system, was probably the best that we could get, and I, I didn't think that. I thought that was managed quite well. It didn't feel too out there, and and it's, I thought it was quite simple. So you knew, yeah, you just seem to know what you're doing more. So than I, I thought it did anyway. But uh, perhaps it's just the 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 user interface of Revelations and Six that I thought the uh, upgrade system was a bit poor. But going back to Infernal mode, I've heard people who've completed that mode say it would be impossible without certain weapon upgrades you find in the game. You know, you're oh, really? doing the final doing the final boss without the charge double blast shotgun thing is is nigh on. Yeah. Uh, uh, where are the days of we take the the magnum parts? Yes, please. You know, upgrade your magnum. Yeah. Get them out of drawer. Yeah. Although they they were, they were the days. They really were. They, but, it was almost exciting to find like a new weapon back then, wasn't it? Because it really did like change like how, how you would approach the game. You know, I got the shotgun for the first time, so yeah. not quite so scared of zombies or hunters anymore. And the frustration of missing out on the Magnum in Code Veronica. Yeah, think, it's really oh, I missed out on that because yeah. the, the fire extinguisher was... Oh, is that, yeah, is that what you mean? <laughs> I'm so annoyed. Oh, I, that, oh, yeah, I forgot to bring the fire extinguisher with me, didn't Cause, I? That was Because they yeah. tease you with it because of the fact that you're able to see it mm. and you yep. can't yeah. get to it. I left that fire extinguisher in the fucking security. <laughs> I did that too. And, yeah. Yeah, and flew, flew off. Oh, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. If you've got explosive, explosive crossbow bolts, you can kill yeah. her, Alexia in the end in about three seconds. It's not the point, yeah, though. <laughs> it's a big shame. That's a really big flaw for that game. That Alexia battle is just too easy. Yeah, just literally stand there and just hammer the button. Yeah. <laughs> Your Lord, yeah. Ah, yes. But I don't think the uh, the Genesis scanner is needed in this game either. I think it works better on the console version than it does in the HD version. But for me, it just takes away from the atmosphere. If you're trapped in a corridor with very little ammo on infernal mode... Like, it sort of reminds you of the old games, but in this game, you can just scan a plant pot or a painting and find a box of shotgun shells out of nowhere. It does damage immersion, because you you don't go into a room thinking, I'm just going to look around because I'm interested in the local. You immediately get the Genesis scanner out and think, where's some items hidden? Yeah. And this game also does suffer from, we said this in Resident Evil 6, you can't just go up to a, you know... A table with some mess on it and get a little bit of description of what could have befallen. I, you know, I really do miss that. It did that in uh, Metroid Prime, the scanning device, and it worked pretty well in Metroid Prime because you just scan it, you get a bit of yeah. lore about that yeah. enemy. Yeah. I wish they'd done that in this. Well, you do get you, you do get a bit of description when you go up and investigate bookshelves and stuff in this game. Well, I think with Metroid Prime, it was that more that sort of game you were, you were exploring, weren't you? It was an alien worlds, and, and as, as you say, it, um, it was quite important in terms of finding a weakness for that combat. But it, it was very much a game where you know you were finding out there, there, were the, there was a history, there was a past history of, of, of the, that civilization. whose name escapes me, and it, it, you know we, you, you were finding out more, and, 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 and it was far better for that context. I think it doesn't. I, I agree with John. I don't really think it works well. Or, or adds anything at all to the atmosphere. Isn't there this like retcon, if you like, of going, well, if it's such a good item, why didn't Chris have it in Resident Evil 5? Mm. You know. I'd see when it could have been quite useful, say all the power goes out and you're in pitch black, and then you've had to have used it at a kind of night vision 
Yeah. I, well, I would... see, I had, a, I had a great idea for a boss or an enemy in, in Resident Evil. I'm sorry you're interrupting, but I'll just give you an idea. Imagine this as a boss, right? Not really a boss, but... Because I'm sure me and you talked about this, didn't we, Sean? About a B.O.W. based on a praying mantis, right? And you, you have this... No, listen, right? Hear me out. It's invisible. You can't see it. And, of course, I apply, like, the fact that it's an ambush predator to the fact that it's a B.O.W., like, maze area. It's really badly illuminated. You can't see these things, and all you've got to go on is a sound detector that beeps faster the more uh, proximity you are to one of these creatures. And you've got to be careful and take your time, and if you get too close, it'll one-shot you on harder difficulties. So, a lot of tension there. That's a great idea, isn't it? Great idea. Mm. Well, following on from that, I would say that's the only time the Genesis scanner really works is when you're with uh, Quint and Keith, and you have to use it to find the invisible hunters. Yes. That was quite effective, I thought. So that's a good idea. You've got to have an enemy that's invisible like that, and it, uh, it's really dangerous, and you have to... Uh, it needs Something like that would add much-needed tension to the game, knowing that your next step could be your last. Mm. With the Genesis scanner looking for hunters. I don't, think, I don't think we'll ever see it again, mind, but there you go. Just looking to see if anyone had done a, a camera angles mod on it. I've come up with a, lost someone doing it on Lost in Nightmares. You know the, the door. Oh trick. yeah, That's God, it is amazing. <laughs> it is. It, it, I wish they would just do another camera angles game. Just you know, just re, you know, even if it was just a small title released on uh, you know PSN or Xbox LA, just be just be wicked. Love it. Have you seen that? Someone did that with Resident Evil Five as well, didn't they? Have you seen that online? Um, uh, I did. I did see the video. I didn't look at it. Is it good? Yeah, it's amazing, brilliant, really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I, I would probably support the going back to pre-rendered camera angles. I just think that would be a big step back for the series. I know we all want it, but I think there should be the unlockable classic mode or something. And so we'll get to play the game with fixed camera angles once you completed it. I just can't imagine we'd ever go back to it. I think the, maybe the overhead, the over cam, over the shoulder camera view or something similar to that is here to stay. Yeah, but, I, I agree. I don't think the over the shoulder camera is going to disappear anytime soon. No, no. But, and I think I think you know they've shown how good the fixed camera angles do work, and I think that should be a nice bonus. A lock for uh, for games. But I do agree with Sean. If they released a small spin-off title, like on Xbox Live, for example, mm. um, you know, for like 15 quid, something that only takes you like an hour, an hour and a half to complete with fixed camera angles, I'm sure it'd do very well. Absolutely. I always thought, I mean, I've said this at no end of times, but Lost in Nightmares should have been released prior to 5. Yeah. As a sort or of playable demo. Or parts of 5, know. like a mission in the game. I suppose DLC. Well, no, I think what Sean's getting at is because then, as you said, you'd have had the time to mourn Jill, wouldn't you? And... They did it with Dead Rising 2, didn't they? That Case Zero thing. Yeah. Oh, yes, they did, yes. It worked, it worked really so well. You have it as a prequel that takes place before the game. Mm. And you have it You have it as part of the main game. And it starts, it's the very first mission, and then Jill falls to her demise, and it's like, oh, God, she's dead, whatever. And then you go, cue the intro. Resident Evil 5 is something like James Bond movie type of intro with credits and stuff. <laughs> and then you get into the game of Chris driving to Africa. Driving through Africa, rather. Well, I think it, I think it was always intended to be part of the game. It was, it was. But they, they expanded it for final release. Originally, you were just supposed to wander around the mansion a little bit. But when they changed it to DLC, they expanded it a lot. Oh, there you go. Um, going back to the 
weapons in Revelations, though. Uh, I was very pleased to see they they put the samurai edge back. That's uh, I a forgot sorely to... sorely missed weapon. Is it any different though? Because I um I got the free download code from Shop2.net to download it, and I forgot all about it, and it's expired now, so I've not got uh... it. So uh, just, it just it's just a skin of the pistol. It's is it? It, oh, right. it does it does have a, a, a little bit of extra damage, and you you can fully upgrade it. But it, it does actually it's very accurate because you know you get descriptions now in the weapons menu. It does describe how the star's emblem is light blue, which it always has been for Jill's pistol. Ah. well, it's funny you should mention the samurai edge. There may be a question on it in the quiz a bit later on. Moving swiftly on, one of the questions I've got in my notes here is: What have we learnt one year on? What have we learnt a year on with the file corrections? The tricell, because of something we, it took a long time. The English version has no links to tricell really, but you know through our own endeavours, we've managed to find out there are links with Jessica and tricell. I like all that because it does make it makes the game feel a little bit more relevant. But I can understand for the life of me why it isn't outright mentioned in the game. Is it because they're not planning on bringing tricell back at all? Well, if they're not, then what's the point in doing it? The story is as well. I mean, I really did. It really did hit home this time more than it has any of the 3DS runs. It's just how woefully, you know, it, it has to double and triple cross the story. You know, the, the characters. You know, like O'Brien is just. I'm revealed as the villain now, but wait, I'm not. And it, you know, it's just everyone can see every twist coming, literally a mile away. And it, it, I, th- I think I, I, I agree with what Batman said a little bit. Is that I was quite buzzed about it when it first came out. And each time I've played it, my love for it has diminished quite considerably. I <laughs> said, so don't play where it! where I am now. I mean, with the storyline, I can't work out whether I'm just thick, or I'm thick and this storyline doesn't fucking make any sense, or just this storyline doesn't make any fucking sense. Because, I mean, am I the only person who truly, genuinely, and I'm quite happy you know, and, and can't bore to admit it, I, I don't fucking understand three quarters of it. <laughs> it's all a setup to lure out Lansdale. It's a setup which potentially endangers. Um, God, what are the names? Chris. <laughs> no, the, well, potentially all of them, but really puts uh, Grinder and the other chap. Someone help me. Then you get character Quinter. dialogue that just contradicts that. See, so that makes sense, but there's things that go on in the narrative that completely either contradict that or just completely yeah. ir- irrelevant to that. But, you know, O'Brien needs Quint and the other one. Ketchup. To uh, Keith, Keith, Quentin Keith, to go and to go to this plane and get the information, even though he knows they're going to get attacked by hunters. And, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's you know yeah. when he could have just told them the information. Oh, it's yeah, it, it's all done for dramatic effect, but it's it's not great. Can I read out my HD version timeline? You can, you can. This is a HD okay. version of the uh, original timeline I read out during the first Revelations podcast. Although back then it was littered with uh, national animal protection agencies and various other mistranslations. Oh yes, yes, yeah. we've had a lot of information since then. So it ulti- ultimately made no sense. So I'll speed through this quickly and hopefully it'll... This is my theory anyway, so hopefully it'll lead to the understanding of the game. But alternatively, it could all be bullshit. Uh, right, go all the way back to the 1960s. George Trevor submits designs for the Queen Zenobia. Uh, and the ship itself is eventually constructed in 1978. In the late 1980s, the Queen Zenobia is bought by a subsidiary company of Umbrella called the Paraguas Line. All three ships, uh, which include the sister ships Semiramis and Dido, are refitted and equipped with laboratory facilities for viral research. Uh, the Zenobia becomes the flagship for the uh, Paraguas Line. 
In the early 1990s, the Zenobia goes on several round-the-world cruises. In 1993, construction of Terra Grigia begins. Fast forward to 2001, and the FBC is founded by the US government after Morgan Lansdale campaigns for a specialised unit trained to deal with bioterrorism, because uh, apart from various anti-umbrella groups, there isn't any at this point in time. Lansdale is also an advisor to the Global Pharmaceutical Consortium and has contacts within Tricell. Uh, fast forward to 2003, after umbrellas collapsed, Montpellier Marine University discover a new deep-sea fish in the Kermadac Trench uh, and discover it to be infected with a virus. The Zenobia, the Dido and the Semiramis are sold off following umbrellas' demise and are acquired by Morgan Lansdale. Uh, researchers studying this new virus name it the Abyss. At this point, Albert Wesker provides Excelligione with virus information from Umbrella's archives from Umbrella Chronicles, and this jumpstarts Tricell's bioweapons program. Tricell wants to monopolise the marine bioweapon market and asks Morgan Lansdale to get them access to the Abyss virus. They want to splice it with the T-virus to create a new weapon. Uh, this would benefit Lansdale, as it would create a new weapon to demonstrate that bioterrorism is still a firm threat, despite Umbrella's demise. Now, this is obviously important, because none of this is in the mentioned in the game because of the mistranslations. Yeah. Uh, Tricell offers support of their research branch to work with Lansdale's own researchers. Um, Lansdale has his team under the belief that they are working experimentally to gain information to prevent biohazard outbreaks when actually they're creating a new weapon. Uh, clinical trials begin and humans are infected and become ooze. Antibodies will be extracted from the subjects in a bid to create a vaccine. Uh, eventually, the T-Abyss virus is perfected. Uh, the researchers begin to doubt they're actually working for the prevention of biohazard outbreaks and they may have just created the next doomsday weapon. Uh, then we go to 2004, Terra Grigia is completed. The researchers note they need more clinical trials for their research, so some higher-ups suggest a man-made pandemic to create the amount of subjects they need. Morgan Lansdale agrees to this, because not only would it provide valuable data to create a vaccine, but it would also be a good opportunity to make the FBC more popular, more powerful, because uh, it would prove to the government that they would need to have more power and authority to deal with these types of incidents. Lansdale then makes contact with a terrorist group called El Veltro, who've been opposing Terra Grigia's construction and offers them a deal, cause a bioterror outbreak in the city and then let the FBC deal with it. This will raise the profile of both the FBC and Veltro. Uh, Veltro's leader, Jack Norman, accepts this offer, but he does not trust Lansdale, and so he makes sure every correspondence with him is recorded. Lansdale meets with him to finalise their arrangement and gives him samples of the T-Abyss virus. He also provides the group with the three cruise ships to use as a base of operations and a UAV to disperse the virus. He also finances them so Veltro can purchase uh, BOWs off the black market, uh, which is the hunters they use. The Terra Grigia panic then happens, uh, which lasts for three weeks. Now this is where Morgan uh, betrays Veltro by releasing the virus on all three ships, uh, infecting all the Veltro members on board. And on the very last day, uh, the BSAA and the FBC evacuate and the Regea Solis satellite is deployed to destroy the city. Uh, the resulting eradication sinks the Queen Dido, which contains the remnants of Veltro and Jack Norman. He is believed to be dead, and thus all evidence of Lansdale's collusions with him is gone, and his position as FBC director is safe. As soon as the Dido sinks, Norman records a video message after after it's fully submerged. He ingests the T-Abyss virus to stay alive, and somehow his sheer will prevents him from mutating. Uh, mm. 
yeah, that's dodgy that, but that's that appears to be what happens. I know it's shit, but that's that's the way it comes across. The other Veltro members do the same, but some mutate and become globsters. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of Veltro is destroyed and disbanded, and Jack Norman's body is never recovered. The FBC's research team secures the infected Queen Zenobia and Queen Zemiramis and sets up a base in the lab areas beneath the bilge, using the infected crew for research purposes as like a controlled test zone to create a vaccine. Despite criticism over the FBC's handling of Terra Grigia, Lansdale's plan seems to have worked as the FBC's charter has expanded and their authority is made even more absolute. O'Brien and Raymond Vesta believe that Morgan destroyed the city deliberately to cover up something. Parker Luciani leaves the FBC and transfers to the BSAA. Jessica Sharawat does the same as Morgan's spy. Raymond Vester approaches Clive O'Brien with the uh, with his reservations about Morgan and he feels the same and the two begin to team up with a plan to expose him. Morgan takes steps to ensure that the Zenobia and the Semiramis remain undetected in the Mediterranean as it is the only source of the T-Abyss virus and the researchers stationed there are working to create a vaccine based on data from the Terra panic. The ships are on a continuous loop around the sea, travelling together so they cannot be detected. And now we go to 2005... Uh, where one by one the surviving members of Veltro and the Queen Dido have perished because they're continually ingesting the virus and they're beginning to mutate. And this is how you see them laid out on the uh, the funeral table in the dining room when they've all half mutated. Eventually there's only Norman left. Uh, the research team aboard the Queen Zenobia discover one of their fish samples has been contaminated by parasites and this leads to the development of the, the Malacoda. They eventually complete the T-Abyss virus vaccine and decide to abandon the Queen Zenobia. However, the vac- when the vaccine data is sent to Morgan, he double-crosses them by locking them inside the lab and releasing the bowels stored in stasis to kill them all. And then this basically leads to the beginning of the game. Um, strange carcasses have been washing up on the beach of a small coastal town near Terra Grigia. Uh, Raymond and O'Brien begin their Veltro revival act by setting up a fake base of operations at Valcoin and Mocky Airport. Word spreads and actual copycat members turn up to join the cause, believing the revival is real. Uh, and this explains why there's apparent Veltro soldiers at the base. One of these members is someone called Earl Brilvinko, who is the man who leaves all the files you find at the base, uh, and thus making the player believe that uh, the revival is real. Um, O'Brien and Vesta use various sources to spread rumours that Veltro is planning an attack against the BSAA. Jessica being Morgan's mole warns him about this. This causes Morgan to panic because if this is real then obviously he could be exposed about his role working with Veltro. Raymond Vesta uses his position in the FBC to discover the location of the Queen Zenobia. Uh, the FBC launch an investigation and seal off the beach. They discover the corpses infected with T-Abyss and that their source may be the sunken Queen Dido. Uh, so for the first time, Morgan believes people might actually have survived on the Queen Dido, so he sends a team of divers down to the ship to investigate, but they lose contact with them. At the same time, he orders Raymond, Vesta and Rachel Foley to board the Queen Zenobia to search for possible survivors. Raymond obviously tells this to O'Brien, and they begin to start their plan. Now, of course, what we've learned since then is Raymond and Jessica are secret tricell agents. Their goal is to acquire the T-Abyss sample for tricell. However, they are at odds with each other because Raymond, despite being a spy, comes across to me anyway as having a strong sense of justice. Like, he's obviously really thankful for uh, Parker saving his life during Terra Grigia and he's disgusted at what Lansdale's done with Terra Grigia and he wants to expose him. 
But Jessica, on the other hand, is quite content being Morgan's mole and wants his secret kept. Now, this is the source of conflict between them, I believe, that leads Jessica to shoot Vesta at the end of the game. But I'll, I'll come on to that in a bit. Um, O'Brien orders Chris and Jessica to investigate the Beltrill base in Valcoin and Mocky, obviously knowing it's a fake. Before they depart, Jessica informs Morgan of the base's location. Morgan organises an attack on the base using BOWs. Uh, this leads to a plane taking off full of these far-a-fellow invisible hunters to uh, rendezvous at the airport and kill all the Veltro members there. This plane was sent by the FBC. Meanwhile, Raymond and Rachel arrive at the Queen Zenobia. Rachel sets up uh, the dummy Chris mannequin while Raymond steers the ship off its intended course and away from the Queen's Amiramis. This causes Lansdale to lose track of the ship. O'Brien launches an investigation onto the creatures on the beach, taking Jill and Parker with him. Uh, at this point, the plane lands at uh, Valcoin and Mocky Airport, releasing the hunters and killing everyone. Uh, on the ship, once Rachel has the fake Chris dummy set up, Vesta activates Chris's fake transponder to lure Jill and Parker to the Queen's Zenobia, and then that's how the game starts, basically. Um, you have Jill and Parker arrive at the ship, uh, the gas by Raymond and locked up. After he's locked them up, uh, Vesta turns off Jill and Parker's transponders, meaning the BSAA lose track of the ship, stalling any BSAA rescue mission. This gives Vesta more time to carry out his soft cloak and dagger mission. Um, as we see from the CCTV footage that Quentin Keith find, uh, some surviving Veltro members try to take off on the plane, but uh, a hunter destroys the engine and this causes the, the plane to crash, which uh, Chris and Jessica obviously witness. At this point, the FBC team arrive at the Queen Dido, and a battle ensues with the remaining Veltro members, and Jack Norman kills them all. Uh, the last surviving FBC member makes a recording on how they failed to secure the evidence, and is killed by Norman shortly after. Chris and Jessica obviously are taken back from the mountains to and sent to the ship to find Chris and uh, to find Sorry Jill. Sorry to interrupt, John. Uh, they were killed by like the human Jack Norman, obviously. Yeah, because okay. he's still human at this point, isn't he? Chris and Jessica obviously. What's sake, can you not keep up, Mister Smith? I mean, this is it's very simple stuff. It's very. I, I, I know. Simple. I was just saying. You know, I mean, how anyone can say this is complicated, I don't know. <laughs> It is. It's stupidly complicated, but I'm trying it's to. You did a stern, uh, valiant job. I'm actually following it, it better than I did when I played it. This yeah. is actually quite helpful. I feel like I've tuned into some sort of South American soap opera. This is brilliant. Well, I'm a I'm a big fan of the story, and I genuinely believe if people take the time to look at it, it actually works quite well. It's just the way they've told it that doesn't come across very well, if you know what I mean. Anyway, uh, Chris and Jessica go to uh, look for Jill and Parker on the Mediterranean, but obviously they haven't got the position of the ship, so it's going to take them a while. Uh, Parker and Jill escape captivity, and they meet Raymond on the bridge. Uh, they do a bit more investigating, and eventually meet Raymond in the emergency comm room, where you see the Veltro ultimatum video about them releasing the virus. Now, this is one thing I don't understand, because... The man on the image is clearly Jack Norman and not Vesta, so that's, this has to be real footage. So it has to be a mix of old footage that's been doctored together to make a new warning. But for me, you'd have thought the BSEA would have recognised this as old footage. So this is still a little mystery that's yet to be solved for me, because it just doesn't make any sense. And then you have Quint and Keith arrive at Valcoin and Mocky Airport. Now, Sean, you said these chapters and twists were done for dramatic effect, but O'Brien couldn't tell Quint and Keith what was really going on because he knew he had a mole in his organisation. That's you know? true, actually. They do mention that in the game, don't they? Yeah. He does it, actually say that. 
Yeah, that's true. Obviously, putting them at risk with the BOWs is why he feels so guilty and ultimately why he resigns his position at the end of the game. Yeah, um, that's fair enough. Yeah, thank you. And then uh, Jill and Parker uh, stop the uh, ship from flooding by sealing off the engine room. Uh, Quint and Keith investigate the crash site, and this is where Quint discovers the FBC is involved and that they too are looking for the Zenobia but can't find it. Um, Quint sends the coordinates for the ship but it's actually the wrong ship, and Chris and Jessica arrive on the Queens of Miramis. Whilst the BSA agents are investigating the Queens of Miramis, Jessica secretly rigs up the whole ship to explode, as per Lansdale's instructions to get rid of the evidence. And then you have Jill and Parker back in the bilge, and as soon as they refix the transmitter so they can get to the roof to contact O'Brien, this obviously turns the transponder for the ship back on, allowing Morgan to find them and move the Regea Solis satellite into position above it. Um, and then the game carries on I can't be asked to go all the way through it and, and eventually you get to the bit where they all meet up in the casino where Vesta's about to reveal all about Morgan and that the whole thing was a fake and how everything went down so we get to the bit where Jessica shoots Raymond now obviously why would she do this because they're working together and I believe this is my little theory that it goes back to what I said before about Raymond wanting to expose Morgan but Jessica doesn't want him to because she's quite happy in her role, because she's she's a spy very much like Ada Wong, you know, infiltrating multiple organisations. But Raymond wants Morgan bringing down because of what he did in Terra Grigia. So Jessica panics and shoots Raymond, knowing he's wearing body armour, but she does it because he's about to expose Morgan. And this forces Vesta to play dead, but when Parker unmasks him, this causes everyone to suddenly believe that Vesta's behind it all. And this is why Vesta has to tell Parker that Jessica is the spy because it'll clear his own name and shift the emphasis of blame back onto Morgan. You know, that's that's the only way I can see it. Because I, I refuse to believe that, you know, Jessica just came in and shot him at the exact coincidental moment he was about to reveal, you know, the whole truth to everyone. Oh, yeah. I've always thought it's it's to cover up. Yeah. I've always had a slightly empathetic, you know, feeling toward Vesper. Mm. You know, even in, even in the post-credits ending, he doesn't really... He's very much a person with his own agenda, I think. Well, this is why I think I think his primary objective in this game is to bring Morgan down. Getting the sample for him is a secondary objective, and that sort of comes across in the end in the way he gives the sample to Jessica and says, right, here you go, you do it. You can take all the credit for it. And that's, that, that's basically it, really. But you can tell just what a huge difference it makes with just a few more accurate translations. And it um, borders on a potentially interesting character in the Resident Evil universe. Which, of course, we won't see ever again. Well, I'll say uh, Capcom did cheat as well with the Samira Miss reveal because I actually made a very, you know, made an effort to, to look at the difference between the two ships and they are nigh on identical. Well, they are. You know, they you've they even did got... a bit of a cheat there. Yeah, you've even got the uh, the comms officer's emergency note pinned on the wall in the same place, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the, the exact same chairs have tipped over in exactly the same position. It's just... It's a bit of a cheat, whereas if they'd, if they'd played it a bit properly and actually made you start to think, hang on a minute, this is subtly different, it would have actually... Not, we haven't got another Birkin's Lab RE2, RE0 situation going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same boat. <laughs> so that's it. That, no, that, yeah, thank you that very was, much, Batman. Yeah, that was... Uh, I, I, I'm going to listen to that again, actually. It was very concise. The only point no, I... I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, honestly, all joking aside, I'm going to listen to that again. Because I just I couldn't get my head around this story at all, and and you've done really well, John, to to um, to, to, to to fish that out. I mean, Capcom certainly seems to have done their best. 
sort of hide hide a good story in, in uh, behind all that. So, um, as I said during the bit, I'm a bit unsure about is when Norman ingests the tea abyss virus. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. It doesn't. It doesn't fit easy for me that he's been infected for a number of years, a couple of years, or whatever it is. That's just him being a badass, though, isn't it? You know. But that's the thing. I mean, we see the video only hours after the ship sinks, and you see him on the video injecting himself, and he doesn't mutate. Maybe what? he did that when he arrived. Perhaps I just need a reason why he doesn't mutate. Well, there isn't one. That's what makes it shit. Yeah, that's what I need in my life. I think. Well, maybe he was like one of those people that's like the uh, have an immunity to it. Yeah, I know that he he probably falls in the same category as you know uh, Hilda and Axeman as to oh we just had a stre- uh, unique reaction to it. But For it's me, too easy, isn't it? It's, too... it's, it's nonsensical anyway because it, you know his his greatest go- you know his ultimate goal is to make sure the tape leaks and. Um, you know, Lansdale can be revealed as to who he is. So what he does is he waits for someone to come and collect it and then tries to kill them so they can't leave. You know, it's... Well, he couldn't leave anyway, yeah. could he? Can I also add, though, that he didn't really mutate until after he drank more of it. Yeah. So maybe he was all right for a fair bit until... Well, some people think he can mutate and revert back to his human form, but... He's close. That's bollocks. Yeah, there's no evidence for that. Oh, well, there we go. That's food for thoughts. And shows the benefit of a uh, podcast revisit of an existing game. Uh, yeah, thanks to our collective efforts, I suppose. Um, credit for Newspot, who's not here, for the you know on- ongoing translations. The leaks with Tricet will certainly help us delve a bit deeper. I'd say of all the games they could have done a HD release, of, Revelations was a, a good, good choice. With regards to Tricell, do, do any of the Japanese files actually mention it, or is the only reference still Jessica's report? It's the image on Jessica's report, and in the HD version, interestingly, if you look at the computer screens in the lab, they've all got Tricell written on them. Have they? Yeah, but that might just be, I think Ridley's already said, that might just be a texture they've taken straight from Resident Evil 5. Is that just something they've, was but, that, is that something in the in the HD version, or are they on the 3DS version, but you just can't tell because of the image quality? Yeah. Yeah, you just can't. Oh, right, it was always there, was it? Oh, nice. So he, oh, they might have just ripped it from Resident Evil 5, but it works oh, in this no. context. Rid- Ridley, the shatter of dreams. I mean, when, with the HD version, you know, it is very strange that if you actually look at the paintings clearly around the ship, like the Spencer Estates there. Or then is it? Mm. How old is the Spencer Estate in Europe? Uh, it, in one it was of the, a castle, wasn't it? So In one of the files, it's mentioned it's been in Spencer's family since his... Uh, his great grandfather, so you're talking you know, early 19th so century. So it is actually very, yeah. So it is very plausible that those paintings can be on the hmm. boat. Yeah, I don't see why not. I can appreciate they've tried to do like a mystery story. Like this is the first sort of game, arguably since the very first one, that has like a mystery. Yeah, I, I like that aspect. I like the attempt to do that. It's, yeah, you're right. It's just unfortunately they didn't do it well, but that was certainly a good starting point. But, I mean, if you were to tell this exact same story, though, how how else could you have done it? Like, I agree with what you're saying about it has been done for dramatic effect and it is quite poor, but if you had written this plot and you were going to use this plot, I can't, I can't really think of a way you could, you know, an alternative way to tell it, basically. Really? Well, what would you do? Well, I, I can't... If you, I, had all, if you had all these twists and turns, I mean... Oh, right, yeah, right, fine. But, we, I mean, I suppose the argument being you wouldn't have had all the twists and turns straight away. <laughs> The problem I have with something like introducing something like the FBC as a rival company to the BSAA is that they need to be around for more than one game for you to actually feel the impact yes. of them being 
removed, if you like. But the fact that, you know, they disappear in the same game they're introduced, to me, is, it's nonsensical. You know, Morgan Lansdale's character has literally no reason to exist because we already know where the BSAN end up in that they sort of answer to the United Nations, if you like. So we didn't really need to know that they reformed and that, you know, it's like uh, introducing, you know, bringing Jill back from the dead yes. in the same game they kill her. If you're not going to actually, you know, let some of these plot threads linger a little bit so you get used to them and then are surprised when they're taken away, then it's just... Well, we've talked about that before, haven't we? The enemy, yeah. Yeah. you know, sacred snakes, new umbrella, you know, the amount of things that are introduced in, and, and killed off in the same game. I mean, now that you've said that, Sean, would it not have been more interesting if the FBC wasn't there at all and Lansdale was actually the head of the BSAA? Yeah, that would yeah. have been excellent. That's a good but, point, yeah. But, but, then, but then I would probably be sat here in an alternate universe saying, what's the point of Lansdale's character? Because he has changed ultimately nothing with how the BSAA is run. Because <laughs> had, he not, had he not been introduced, then there wouldn't have any, been a need to take him away. You know, I'm a big believer if you're going to introduce a major character or a major villain, you actually have to make them do something. The final queen. Yes, Queen Dido. She's been resting on the ocean floor since that day. Which means we'll find her. A Terra Grigia. Exactly. We have a responsibility to see this mission through. O'Brien out. BSAA is hereby under the direct supervision of the FBC. Clive R. O'Brien, you are under arrest for collaborating with the terrorist organization Veltro. Chris, Jill, you're our only hope. Why have the FBC in the fact? Why not? Why not have one of the old, you know, the anti-umbrella? Pursuit team. Well, this, this has been the problem. Stratcom. Stratcom. Yeah, what Brilliant. I don't understand their fucking obsession with with, and, with, and with initials. There were too oh, many. Nick, <laughs> you could have had Bruce McGiven in the um. I know. The role, the role yeah. of uh, what's his name with the red hair. I forgot well, terrible little, name. That, 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 that Best yeah. the, the little group they worked for in Gaiden. Oh, well, yeah, you could have had uh, that. Oh, no, <laughs> don't mention that. <laughs> but yes, you could have, had, you know. It would have been better with Stratcom, yeah. I agree. But yeah, that would have been how how good a twist would that have been if Bruce was actually in the Raymond role? Would have been wait, wicked. Wait, wait, I got it. You only mentioned Stratcom, right? This could be an explanation as to why the BSAA are in charge, but you simply replaced the role of the FBC with US Stratcom, and why US Stratcom kind of handed over the reins to the BSAA. This whole could have been about that. Could have would been, have been amazing. amazing. And wouldn't it have been quite cool to have almost... That's genius. Almost have and Fongling could, have, Fongling could have been the Jessica character. Yeah, and, exactly. And you have them as kind of like, you know, they've been goodies before. 
but now they're kind of turning into slight baddies, but they think they're doing good, or, you know... You know yeah, like, they and, could be... And, of course, Bruce and, heroes yeah. never die. Absolutely, there we go. Bruce and Fong Ling could be sort of like, after what they experience, they kind of get a bit jaded by it, and they so, decide, well, you know, the US Stratcom are a bit suspicious, US government, tighter with Simmons as well, lead it into RE6. Tell you what, we should be running this series now. We should be running this series. <laughs> this is the point. There's plenty of links with Biohazard 6, with all the others, with all these government organisations that you could, if someone actually bothered to do it, they could have had one monumental orgy of, of the way it all connects up. But never, you know, alas. Because obviously Revelations takes right in between uh, Biohazard 6 and um, Dead Aim. But right slap dang in the middle. Because Revelations is set on a boat, it's a spiritual sequel to Dead Aim, and you oh. know, all, all the groundwork was laid out. It all connects. It all makes sense. It does. Oh, well. Because you could use... I mean, it could explain why we never hear from US Stratcom again. Simple. Because of the events of Revelations. Yeah. And you can have Simmons tied into it as well, because US Stratcom obviously report uh, ostensibly to the US government. Mm. So he could tie it into maybe Simmons was in charge of, or he, he pulled a few strings. Mm. I mean, what was Simmons' role? He was like um, national security, wasn't he, or something? Yep. yep. National security director? I'm pretty sure US Stratcom would kind of tie under that, his authority a little bit. So he could have pulled a few strings there. Simmons could have been the Morgan Lansdale, but in the shadows that we never really know about, but reference to. I think the only thing we can kind of hope is, you know, will we ever find out who Ada's reporting to at the end of Damnation? That's all we've got. That's the only. Alex, co- it's Alex. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, I tell you, I mean, let's be honest. We've been doing this podcast now for well over a year, and I think the most commonly used phrase in all our podcasts: missed opportunity. I, th- yeah. I, th- I think it gets said at least once every podcast by someone. <laughs> And no matter how um, great the game is, we always say somewhere, Mr. opportunity. I'm waiting for the Resident Evil 6 director's cut, <laughs> which will actually remove sections of the game and thus improve it. Yes, maybe, yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, uh, if they take out the vehicle sections, oh. you already got half a better game. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I mean, purely from a fan's perspective, you know, connecting them all to a previous game, I can sense um, a video, uh, there's, a, there's a famous Star Wars video, um, someone dubbed over the Darth Vader Obi-Wan fight in uh, New Hope, and it goes... have they? Yeah, yeah, it, it goes, do you remember Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> just trying to tie in episode one better to episode four. And you can feel you could do all these dubbing things over Resident Evil 6 going, ah, oh, I still, still maintain a director's cut could save that game. A gold edition, as they said. Or something, you know, where they actually totally owe... You know, like, have you heard how they're doing, um, what they're doing with the most recent Deus Ex game? No. There was, they received massive criticism for, like, how the boss fights were done, how, you know, because Deus Ex is an RPG. In they were sense. outsourced. Yeah, that's it, yeah. But what they're doing is they're re-releasing it on the, the Wii U and now has been revealed other formats and they've totally overhauled the boss fights to do them differently so you've got multiple options and you know they're not just a shootout fest like they were in the original and you know if capcom applied some of that to resident evil 6 and tweaked the game in very very dramatic ways could save that game Mm. they could i mean without trying to blow blow our own trumpet they need maybe not one of us but you know they need someone who knows the series from start to finish us yeah, maybe. It may, well, it may not well, the, be. But. They, need, they need a writer to cover every new title they do. Sean Hall. <laughs> Even if they restarted a new plotline with Resident Evil 7 and they did multiple spin-offs, as long as it has the same writer or the same writing team, it's already going to be better. They need the guy 
who came on board in Resident Evil 5 and tied everything massively together like yeah, he did. Yeah. That guy is a hero for us, for the series. He really is. You know, he made the Jill infection in Resident Evil 3 relevant. Yep. He brought James Marcus back masterfully. And, you know, and that's someone, he knows his shit and he knows how to tie it all very well. That's true. Where apart- is he? Does he work for Capcom still? <laughs> apart from Jill dying, Jill coming back. Yeah. He, sorry, he did the files for Revelations as well. Tanaka. And that's arguably probably the best thing about Revelations because there's things like George Trevor mentions and mm. the guy is a legend. <laughs> Promotion. He should be given charge of the series. Oh, well. I think with Resident Evil 7, I mean, I know we've deviated somewhat from um, our Revelations HD chat, but I think Revelations is important because it is a, a benchmark as to where Resident Evil goes from here, isn't it? I mean, 6 did, didn't do particularly well sales-wise, certainly didn't do very well review-wise. Revelation did quite well review-wise, as doing okay sales-wise. So they are at a juncture, Capcom, as to where to take Resident Evil 7 and or next spin-off. So it's important that we, you know, we think... Are they going to carry on with this bioterrorism storyline, or are they going to do this reboot, but a reboot, you know, that's still within the same universe, you know, not like a Tomb Raider reboot or something awful, you know? Sorry, I think the problems though go deeper than that because the because the point about Resident Evil Five, the actual gameplay itself, aside from those that enjoyed the action, uh, for me and other people that enjoyed the survival horror of Resident Evil One, Two, and Three, it was absolutely dire. It was just continually shooting, get to point A, continually shooting, get to point B, mm. blood, C, D, E, and that's all it was. Working through chapter after chapter after chapter with no other thought of mind than just continually pressing the A button, no puzzles. So to me, you know, they and, and with Resident Evil Six, they haven't worked out Capcom what they want. They, they, you know, they're, they're caught between two houses as well with the over the shoulder. I, I mean, I don't know anyone who either prefers first person or third person who enjoys this. Either go proper third person and make it a third person in the sense that I suppose it was all the way back with Code Veronica where you didn't have the pre-rendered backgrounds but you still had a complete third person perspective um, or just make it first person because you know even with that I, I, what being right up up their ass behind, with with their back obscuring the screen with a, what, what is that actually doing to enhance the gameplay I, I don't know any, anyone who prefers that so I think that unfortunately that, that you know you could get back to what that chap did whose name I can't pronounce, with Resident Evil 5. Sean's absolutely right. I completely agree with you about the the, the, the narrative and the way he did that. I just don't like the, the gameplay with, with which he put that in. Um, and I think with Resident Evil 6, it, again, it was a halfway house. And um, I'll happily shut up and just play Resident Evil as an action game. But I just wish they had the confidence of mine just to choose one particular style and really go for it with that style all in. Saying that, I'd forgotten that they actually took out the first-person mode out of Revelations HD. forgot to mention that. And two, the camera angles mode in Lost in Nightmares that you can unlock, I think, is is a very good um, example that the series can actually still do the multiple camera angles and still be every bit as effective. I mean, the aiming's incredibly difficult because it still retains the laser sight, but... I mean, you know, I get a feeling, and you know, I know I always wax lyrical about this, but I do think Resident Evil Seven will be a massive departure from bioterrorism. I don't, I don't necessarily even think it'll be over the shoulder. I think it will be the same storyline because I don't think they'll abandon it. I think it will be a, quite a big departure because I think, even though Resident Evil Six sold reasonably well, that shows them that maybe now they can actually, hopefully, Capcom prove me right take a chance with the series now 
you know, if if, if Revelations can sell reasonably healthfully at 900k, I don't know whether that is truly effective based on I don't know what the budget for the game was, for example. Mm. But maybe you know, maybe seven will take. But would you would would you say Revelations is a return to horror, more like the old games, despite the new gameplay? Not not bad. I mean, playing, you know, playing with like a headset in on your 3DS, going around the Queen Zenobia at the beginning, is amazing. And I I, I felt for the first time I was back playing Resident Evil with a modern spin on it. The ooze are quite difficult to kill. You have limited ammo. It's great. But there's yeah. bits with all the hunters and you're like, okay, this is, you know, is, is it's just a nice little reference for all the Resident Evil 5 fans. But I think it, it possibly goes a bit too actiony at the end and you, and you get the big kind of parasite fight, don't you? And you're like, well, that wouldn't, you know, it's a bit over the top with the helicopter and all that Majabi. But there's parts of it that you can really appreciate. You can see if, if, they, if they did the whole game like that, it would, the over the shoulder would work. Yeah, I'm not knocking it. I just think they've uh, exhausted that by now. But what will they go back to? No idea. They won't go back to fixed camera angles because they, they, they are slated by everyone in the press. How difficult would it be to do what they did with Lost in Nightmares or with Sk- what we get with Skyrim where you, you the player has the choice? We're living in an era of gaming where we're on, you know, on the cusp of all these kickstarters occurring and everything like that. And... All these Kickstarter projects are like very quirky RPG titles, and we're going back to a state of gaming which was very much in the 90s with these like isometric RPGs and you know all these things that people said would never come back. Mm. You know, and in, you know, look at all the indie game stuff, all the 2D pixel art that's you know coming back. So yeah, with that argument you're in mind, right. and, I mean, why what's, couldn't what's sort of camera angles come back for 3D games? Advance Wars, it was just effectively you know just chess. Yeah, um, all the Dragon Quest games in Japan. We're seeing a bit of a renaissance occurring in the sort of indie games industry at the minute. And what we will start to see is probably mainstream developers adopting some of these things. Because if the Kickstarters and that proved to be very successful, we had Shadowrun Returns come out last week, um, which is an isometric RPG game. You know, all 2D, well, I think it is 3D, but it's done in a 2D style. So who's to say yeah. you're not going to start getting 3D games using these sort of classic camera angles, things like that? And if these prove to be popular, you know, Capcom will recognise that. I mean, how well does anyone know how well The Walking Dead did? Because that was quite an original uh, presentation, the way that was. I think they've done very well. I think they've done quite well. Right, OK, Walking Dead, uh, one million copies in 20 days. That's not Wow. Bad. 3.8 million episodes were delivered to 1.2 million players because it's obviously episodic. 85 million episodes have been sold across all platforms, you know, so there you go, that's a sort of genre-style game in the, the style of which we're talking about, and it's a very non-traditional, isn't it, almost like graphic adventure kind of? That's fantastic. But yeah, it's a graphic adventure played from a third-person perspective, you know, no shooting, well there is shooting, but it's not like an, an action over-the-shoulder game. Oh, are we seeing a return to like Broken Sword-esque, not pointing, I can't imagine pointing click would ever get... A huge renaissance. No, but you say that, but it's had a big resurgence on uh, iOS and Android, that game. A point and click? What, Broken Sword or Point and Click games? Broken Swords. Broken Sword's been remade for iOS and Android. Has it really? Well, there we go. You know, so we are in a bit of a... I wouldn't be surprised if, if Capcom, you know, well, it, it, the thing is, if something like this happens, it won't come from Capcom, sadly. Okay, well, that's a very that's a very interesting discussion. So what, what was everyone's favourite moment of Revelations HD? Start with you, Batman. Um, 
And is it any different from Revelations podcast? Uh, no, I, I think I'll just say the obvious thing. It was nice to play it on the big screen. Oh, okay, now, fair enough. Yeah. You know, I was impressed with the way the graphics have stood up, and it is nice to play it on a on a forty inch telly rather than a, a four inch plastic screen. Well, a bit bigger if you've got the XL version. Uh, the <laughs> Stars Tyrant favorite moment? Yeah, I, I, this is about the HD update. So I will say that um, the ship itself, the sort of luxury areas upscaled exquisitely in that it really did feel like I was going around at a classic mansion again. So I think, you know, in terms of what the upscale and the HD version added was that it made the luxury areas of the Zenobia look beautiful. And I was very immersed in in revisiting that. And I I know that's something I won't get from playing 3DS version again. I'm not sure if uh, Mr. Spencer can really have a comment on this. Well, all I'm going to say is, oh, you will though. Of all, of all the games that they could have brought out in HD, they did like Code Veronica and RE4. I'd say that Revelations was a good choice. All things considered, it was a good game, and to release it on HD was a good call. Words of wisdom there from Mr. Spencer. George Trevor, favourite moment. I've, I've not, I've not completed the game on the. Um big screen but I mean that's not going to stop me making sweeping generalizations or, or taking an extreme view absolutely uh, not <laughs> why should it um I really really loved and appreciated being able to play that dead aim remake exploration around the corridors of uh, of the boat the Zenobia and uh, well, the no no sorry the earlier stages and seeing in the distance that ooze come across the T-junction at the top that, that to me is pure Resident Evil, and I I love that. Good stuff. Right, we'll move on to scores. Batman, what would you give it out of 10? 7 out of 10. I had more fun gameplay-wise with Resident Evil 5 and 6. Okay. George Trevor? If this had come out around the time of Remake or soon after, I'd probably almost be persuaded to go down to 6 out of 10. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm like a bit like, you know, a, a, a desperate guy. I'll, I'll take anything I can get now, frankly. And so because of that gameplay coming back... I'm almost seven and a half out of ten, almost eight. Almost eight. Um, Star Tyrant? It looks great. It's a reasonable port, but for the missed opportunities, seven. Well, say me not playing the game was a missed opportunity. It, yes, that's fair too. Great. Well, that, that concludes our HD uh, podcast. We haven't got any call ins this week. Our apologies to Crimson Elder for. I know he tried valiantly, but he What's was. What's your score, Nick? Well, I. Uh, I've, only, I've only played the one on the 3DS, so I. I, I I, I struggle to give it a good score. I love I love it on the 3DS. My score, if I was reviewing, if we were just doing the normal one, would probably be an 8 out of 10. So, yeah, I, I don't feel qualified enough, really, to, to give a score because I, I would just say 8 out of 10 for Revelations, full stop. You see, I find that interesting because maybe it's a sign of the times. Like when Revelations first came out, I recall when we did the original podcast, we were all really, really positive about it. And yet this is only like a year later. And now, you know, we all seem to have gone off it quite significantly. Whereas games like Resident Evil 1, 2 and 3, I mean, we only did three podcasts a few months ago. And we were all still, Wait, you know. Are you saying that they stand the test of time more than what Revelations were? Yeah, maybe it's just maybe it's just us getting older. But Well, no, it's the ability. What they have is, is, is you can play them over and over and over again over a period of time. And you never get bored of them. 
and you enjoy the 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 exploration because as much exploration as there as there is in remake and and, and Resident Evil 2 uh, and Dead Aim for that matter we've all done it now to the point of exhaustion where there is no deviation for us uh, but we, we we still enjoy it and the interest is still is still there for us to be um, fair to be fair these earlier games do have uh, one major uh, advantage over revelations and later games the nostalgic factor yeah the nostalgic factor yeah, I mean, if it's nostalgic, people are going to look back more fondly of it than they are of something that's more recent. But you can't replay Revelations because I was thinking because I almost almost have that ability to to play. I haven't gone off it like maybe the, some of the other guys have, but certainly don't get the the enjoyment of replaying it that I did with those past games because there's no sensible, intelligent story to reimmerse myself in again and enjoy like there is with Resident Evil One and Two. Is it, is it arguably the simplicity of Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3? It's one, you know, get out of the mansion and on the way you're going to discover a secret lab, things like that. Resident Evil 2 and 3, get the hell out of that city. Whereas, you know... You had characters that made sense. There wasn't contradiction. There weren't particularly plot holes. You know, there were points of interest and controversy. Um, they were just written, They were just well written. Mm. And the new games, frankly, aren't. Well, perhaps we'll, we'll do a retrospective of Resident Evil Revelations in maybe a couple of years' time and see what we think of it back then. Right, on that note then, we will finish HD and we'll move on to this week's edition of Neptune in Newsies, Biohazard Quiz. Their minds will be tested. I, I have an answer, but it's based on a thread that Welsh made. Experiments will be undertaken. I've been told by the boss that you have to be deducted a point. Fuck off. Great knowledge is needed. <laughs> I got massive knot out of five last time. And a new power will arise. Jesus Christ. What the fuck? question is that? You said these questions weren't hard. I don't know. 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 George Trevor, the Batman, and Star's Tyrant. It's time for Neptune and Newsies Biohazard Quiz! So hello and welcome to Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz, once again, minus Newsy. I don't know where he is this week, never mind. So that means Lifeline, uh, for Batman anyway, because he's the only one that's got it left, to ask Newsbot is not available, which is a shame, because I have a feeling he might have wanted to ask Newsbot this week. Such I a... hear the questions are pretty difficult this week. Well, one, one, one is, I think, but there we go, we'll oh, see. No, I'm not going to get any. Oh, it'll be okay. Let's have a, a not that the uh, not we've had a guest for a long time, but um, a quick recap of the guest scores: Ridley Wanderer on four, and Rombie Welsh Smiley Archelon on three, Cinder two and a half, Selfish Gene M Greg Zombie Fred on one. But the scores on the doors with our 
podcasters are. Batman is in the lead on 19 points. Mr. Spencer is hot on his heels in second place with 15 and a half points. George Trevor just behind him on 15 points. And slightly below the rest with is Shatar's Tyrant with 11 and a half. <laughs> right, if everyone can clear their desktops, you can load up Notepad. That's the rules. Let's start with question number one. How many bird-based B.O.W.s have there been in the Biohazard universe? And just, just for clarity, I'm not talking about specifically created B.O.W.s. I'm just talking about birds. <laughs> just, just a, you know, a B.O.W. by default as opposed to like a, you know, a hunter or something like that. Secondary infectant, yes, because I suppose there is... Has anyone got Bill Oddie's phone number? Right, moving on to question number two. This question literally came in about half an hour ago from Vito. What is the name of the news channel at the beginning of Revelations? (laughs) (laughs) And we did have a chat earlier about how wonderful it would have been if it had been... If Alyssa was fucking, yeah. I can't remember. So have a little think there. Question number three comes from Yoke. In what game does a Samurai Edge first make its appearance? There we go. Question number four. Now, this, this I think, is a personally quite hard question. It's a timeline question. We haven't had one of these for a long time. It's the 1st of August. It's my father's 65th birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. What happened in the Biohazard (laughs) universe today in 1998? And it's someone's father. Uh, no, 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 no. It's just my dad's birthday today. That's, that's irrelevant. Well, as um, in yours and not a characters in the universe. No, no, it's just my dad's, my actual dad's birthday today. <sighs> Nick. Sorry. But <laughs> you're too in depth. It's, it's, 98 or 88? 98. What happened today? Yeah. 1st of August, 1998, in the Biohazard universe. There is potentially a bonus mark available. But I'll ask the question when we get to the answers to see if anyone knows it. And finally, question number five. How many divisions of the BSAA are there? Ooh, that's a good one. I'll leave you to ponder. Join us after this when we run through the answers.
back soon. Welcome back to Neptune News' Biohazard Quiz. I hope you like that little trailer there. That's something we might have a quick chat about after the podcast. Very exciting, very exciting. Right, question number one. Let's see how everyone did. Was How many bird-based BOWs have there been in the Biohazard universe? What did you put, Mr. Spencer? Right. Um... <clears throat> I was only I only came to mind the only thing that came to mind was the uh, like the ravens the crows and then I thought ah what about outbreak there was some birds knocking about in that so I went for four but for four okay mm-hmm. what did you put Batman oh Christ I've got the crow mm-hmm. the hornbill mm-hmm. the bat and all the bat variants the giant bats and whatnot a bat's a mammal not a bird oh right shit That's true yeah fair enough crow and Hornbill then, two. Going for two. George Trevor, what did you put? I'm getting, I mean, I'm, uh, uh, three. And Star Star? Um, I had, um, the Hornbills are the things from Outbreak, aren't they? Like the parrot things in the zoo mm. scenario. Yeah, I had what them in the, the crow. seagulls? I thought they were more parakeets kind of things. They were, weren't they red? Uh, well, they're hornbills. But yes, it, it's points to Batman and Star's Tyrant. There is only two. It's only the crow, raven. You know, it's the same family. But yeah, crow and hornbill. Very well done. No others, I'm afraid. They're much bigger and they they swoop down on you quite viciously as you go yeah, through. Yeah, but if you these... have the auto aim on, you just blast them really easy. Oh dear. Oh, there we go. So there we go. Points for Batman and from Star's Tyrant. And whoa, 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 whoa. What was the answer? Two. The crow and the hornbill. Didn't I say two? No, you said three. I wanted to say two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, excellent. So question number two was the veto question. What is the name of the news channel? Did you know this? I'll save stars to last for this one. Mr. Spencer, did you know this one? I, I had no clue because I haven't played Revelations really. Um, Mediterranean News Network, I had no clue. Good guess, good guess, not bad. It might be right, who knows. George Trevor? I don't know this one. Ch- channel 9. Channel 9! <laughs> Okay. Channel 9! Channel 9! Chris Waddle. <laughs> Tonight on Channel 9, we will be shooting jewels. <laughs> Sorry. Batman, did you know this one? I want to say NBC News. NBC News. Stars Tyrant, you were seeing anguish. Did you know it? Yeah, I was, yeah. CNN. CNN. Uh, it, it's, the answer is NTS, so unfortunately. No one gets it. Congratulations to Vito for outfoxing our panel there. Although I, I do like Mediterranean News Network. It's one of those things, though, you, you know, you, you, I've probably seen that scene a dozen times, and never at any point I've thought, I must remember that, that an acronym for a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Whereas once upon a time I probably used to. <laughs> <laughs> so question three was from Yoke in what game did the Samurai Edge first make its appearance? Star's turn. Three. Resident Evil three. Mr. Spencer? Remake. George Trevor? Three. And Batman? Three. Correct. It's three. It is Resident Evil three. Unlucky Mr. Spencer. That's alright. And of course we had that lovely little uh, kind of guide that came out, didn't we? The history of the Samurai Edge. And, uh, you know, with the, uh, Kendo's brother, wasn't it? And all that. And that was quite nice. Question number four was uh, the timeline question. 1st of August 1998, what happened? Uh, George, what did you put? Well, I know that in August, early August, see, I don't know if it's the first, but I know some of the things that happened in August. I know that's when Ada Wong got her information about that you know her boyfriend or well 
she targeted him as her boyfriend. The uh, researcher had completed um, G-Virus. Oh, no, it wasn't John. Sorry. No, it was William Birkin. But Ada Wong got information about a researcher that developed the G-Virus. Ada, okay. Ada uh, secured information. Yes, yes. That we're going for? But, but also, um, that's also when um, William Birkin told Brian Irons that he had to keep an eye on stars. Can I give both as my answer? <laughs> If you want. But that's both happened in August. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I always see what, what I'm doing, yeah. Which one uh, are you going to go for? I'm going to go for... Uh, I honestly don't know which one is, 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 is earlier, but I'll just say Ada getting the go information. Ada getting information, okay. Stars Tyrant? A total guess, because I already can't remember. Uh, did Brian Irons visit the sewage plant in Resident Evil 2? Okay. Uh, Batman? Uh, Joel Clemens runs for City Councilman. In Raccoon City. Oh, Mr. Spencer. Who's Joe Clemens? Uh, what's that from? Is that just from RE2? Um, I from just got, I didn't really know. I just went, Chris goes to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tried to trick out Batman. Of course, Batman is correct. How the fuck? Well, oh, how did you know that? I read the timeline at least once a month. That I'm is still... hard. <laughs> I'm really impressed. No, I'm still absolutely fascinated with the timeline. I can, can memorise a lot of it. Where did you find about Joel Clemens in a in which in a file in which game? Uh, I think that's Outbreak Two. Oh, okay. It's oh. one of the newspapers. I I, I, yeah. I hat off to you. I think that deserves. I'm I'm going to blow smoke up his ass. That deserves a bonus point. I think. Well, there is, as I promised before, we got to the question. There is a potential bonus mark available. Joel Clements wrote a book. Can anyone name the title of that book? I know Bats is going to do it, isn't he? Does anyone? Well, I said I know the timeline. I don't know it that well. <laughs> Does anyone know the name of the book for a bonus mark? No. Mr. Spencer, do you know this one? Do you have a guess at a book title? <laughs> no, that is impossible. Um, hmm. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me, do, let me just check the chronology of evil. Never his book, Joel uh, Clemens. This is, a com- is, is, this is a complete guess. Is it the other side of the coin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just a complete guess. Is that a complete... I know. Oh, cool. No, it's not, actually. No. <laughs> that, that is the correct answer, so uh, can well, I, well can done. I mean, can, can, can we have... Um, get Newsbot on the case, or, you know, we'll have a look at doing it. We ought to have a version of the Chronology of Evil on, like, the the Apple, uh, the Apple Android App Store, which you can download and have on your phone. Because then I would literally research it every day <laughs> while I'm at work with nothing to do. Oh, that would be I'll awesome. just sit and study the timeline. The thing is that you can submit things to the Android App Store for free, and you could, you'd only need it as a basic sort of app. Well, I've, got the, I've got the Chronology of Evil on my phone. Yeah, we've got how, a, have you, how have you done it? You can download the PDF, and then as well. Yeah. Oh, can you? I didn't think you were able. Where's that? Well, <laughs> how can I get it? Because I've got a Blackberry. Providing you've got Adobe Reader, you should be able to. Where is the PDF? I just thought it was a flash based thing on the site. No, it should be. You just do a right click, save target as. Oh. It should be un- under the. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hopefully bring it home for the next quiz then. <laughs> well, we'll live and wait. Um, okay, well, well done. Yes, it was the other side of the coin, and no, uh, George, I don't think you're gonna get a point for that. And finally, question number five was how many divisions of the BSAA are there? Uh, I can know this. I can name them as well because I've got little kind of patches, badges. Well, well that that sounds confident. So we'll come to you last. Um, Stars Tarrant, did you know how many? I'm torn between. Seven or eight. Oh, because I know one you of them. The mark. I, you need the mark. I, I remember reading it. I remember reading it a while ago. One of them is 
not classed as a division because it's classed as another one because it's the one that's in Umbrella Chronicles, isn't it? So that would mean it would be seven? No, would it? Would it be eight? Would it be eight? I do have a. I, I, I'm going to go for. Eight. I'm going to go for eight. I'll go for a guess at eight. I'm because yeah. I think it's wrong, which means it's probably right. Okay. Mr. Spencer, I'm going to go for seven, and I'll tell you why. Sean, his uh, Skype avatar shows seven stars on it. Oh. One for each uh, region. Must be including the one in the middle. All right. Nice observation, Batman. Oh, bollocks! My own fucking logo. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna say. Ooh, I thought it was twelve, but no. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. It might be. Counting the planets. Say 12. Oh, be confident. Say twelve. Eight sounds right, but no, I'm gonna say twelve. Twelve was in my head. I'll 12, be honest. Well, that's fair enough. And George, what did you say? Eight. Can I name them for a bonus point? No, um, <laughs> but yes, it, the answer is eight. So congratulations, George and Ty. Fuck, did I get twelve from? Feel free to name them now. There are two in Africa: West Africa and East Africa. Yep. And I got because I've got to think of the globe. I literally have to think of the globe in my head. Then just across to my part of the world, there's one in the Middle East. Yes. You've got Europe. Yes. Asia. Below the Middle East, you've got there's Oceania. Yeah. For Japan, you've you've got well Far East. That's probably a poor translation, but it, we've got this. It, the it, yes, that's right. Yeah. And then you've got the two. You've got North America and South America. Very good. Very good. Tempted to give you a bonus point, but what I did. Antarctica. Could too cold for BOWs. Too cold for BOWs. Yeah. So yeah, well done there. That's it. The answer was eight, and beautifully recited there by uh, George Trevor. So let's see how everyone's done. The winner of this week's quiz. It was a joy. It's a tie. Batman and tie scoring three oh out God. of five. So well done. That's good. Second place, just behind on two points, is George. Mr. Spencer, you scored nil point. Ooh. What did Terrible I get? this week. How many did I get, Nick? Two. He's got two. So the scores on the doors. Batman has moved on to 22 points. A new second place is George Trevor on 17 points. Get in there. There you go, yes. Still in third place is Mr. Spencer on 15 and a half points, but right under on his tail now is Sean with 14 and a half points. Hey. So it's getting tight. It's getting tight. So congratulations. Right. <laughs> Thank you for that. So that concludes this week's Neptune and Newsies Biohazard oh, Quiz. Mm. Need some points next week. So join us next time when we'll have some more questions. Very good, well played. Those are some good questions. Oh, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. I've got a series of questions, actually, about the Samurai Edge, which were sent in by Yoke, so there may be more of them coming. Next podcast, we're going to be discussing, probably at long last, Resident Evil Zero. I know this is something close to all our hearts, and certainly Mm -hmm. um, at the forefront of Batman's mind at the moment, having recently completed a speed run. Well, it wasn't a speed run. It was just a playthrough, was it? Yeah, I don't do speedruns. How do you? Okay. But uh, no, I, I was going to say that that experience of playing through Resident Evil Zero is the most enjoyable gaming experience I've had this year because I've not Ouch. played it. I've not played it for that long. I just really enjoyed it. I think Zero is tremendously underrated. Wow, that's interesting because I think it's just I... for me. It's just what it could have been, you know, in terms of the back history with with Spencer, 
Marcus and Ashford. But aside from that, I, I can see exactly where John's coming from. Well, when I when I get back from a holiday, I'm hoping to start, um, you know, my series playthrough. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to get it done before the next cast. Yeah, so I want to contribute to that thread as well. I'm going to go back and play that before so I can add some bits. Because it was, it was, by the way, John, it was a great read. The detail you made yeah, it was. It's great, it was yeah. Really, yeah, I could really, really sort of found myself playing alongside you aside while you were doing it, particularly the bit with Enrico. Um, yeah. Especially after recent developments about labs and whatnot. But mm. yes, I would urge every uh, every listener to take a look through the series playthrough thread on the PU forums. That's uh, always a good read. But as you may have heard during the quiz, something. Project Umbrella Live. Now, this is something we're trying to organise in the very near future. We're trying to organise a live version of the Project Umbrella podcast. Yes, you'll get to see all your favourite podcasters, excluding Tars Tyrant, who can't make it, in the flesh. Oh, and Newsbot, I think. Is Newsbot... Isn't going to be... Yes, and and sorry, and Newsbot can't make it. So, really, it's a podcast for myself, Batman, Mr Spencer and George Trevor... So, um, it's going to be a quite unique experience. It's going to be a staff meeting for Project Umbrella, but more importantly, we are planning on trying to do a live podcast, or at least film live, um, so you get to see us discuss all the latest Resident Evil uh, updates. We won't divulge what we're going to be discussing yet. It should be a surprise, hopefully a rather excellent surprise. We will be auctioning off Mr. Spencer live as well, won't we, to come, sort of come and visit vi- anyone around the, in the world who wants Mr. Spencer for a weekend? Yeah, uh, we, we're going to put him up. Yeah, it's going to uh, be like uh, an episode of Man Oh Man from the yeah, 1990s. Yeah, absolutely. How are you going to sell me off? <laughs> but yes, we we are hopefully going to be filming it, and the concern is that Bristol's been taken over by a large pharmaceutical enterprise who have dangerously high levels of competence, incompetence, and infectious materials. So who knows what will happen? I tr- I trust these pharmaceutical companies. I cannot see anything possibly going wrong. On that note. We bid you farewell. We should be back as soon as we can, and certainly once Star's Tyrant returns from holiday to do the Resident Evil Zero podcast. The live podcast should be probably just either before or after that, so keep an eye out for that. It's goodbye for me, Neptune. Goodbye for me, Batman. Goodbye for me, Star's Tyrant. Gareth Bell still plays for Tottenham. It's goodbye for me, George Trevor. (laughs) And it's goodbye for me, Mr. Spencer. (laughs)